Hello, and welcome back to Kino Inferno, your new favourite movie podcast. It's not your new favourite movie podcast, because you listen to this anyway, so it's your favourite movie podcast. It's your old favourite. It's an old favourite, like favorite. a nice pair of leather slacks that you're just easing yourself into. A little bit of talcum powder, just to get in there, but yes, that's how it is with Kino Inferno. It's a tight squeeze, we're a tight squeeze. We do always wear leather slacks on this show, I think that's not really been... Uh revealed yet but yeah we're always always wearing mesh vests and leather slacks (laughs) and gator skin shoes it's a real berlin nightclub vibe going on in the podcast (laughs) and as usual i am your host mark and i am your other host whose name is aiden and we are here today to finally put a nail in the coffin that is the Halloween series because Aiden's torment has finally come to an end. Yeah, this is it. This is the big, the big finale. Yeah, the Halloween, the end of Halloween, which yeah. is the name of one of these movies, the end of Halloween. Yeah, or Cory goes bananas, but we'll get to that. Cory goes bananas. Yeah, I mean, we're here today, Mark, to des- to decide once and for all: can you keep a player down? You know, we've been saying all this time you can't keep a player down. Maybe, maybe with Halloween ends, we'll be proven wrong. Who can say? Only time will tell. But before we get into the movies, Mark, why don't you tell us where in blue blazes we are in Halloween continuity? Because last time we talked about Halloween, we were very much in the zombieverse. We were. That was that was a quick visit. Been through we, we, were, we were firmly one foot in the zombie verse, where I feel like we had a, a mostly good time, the two of us. I'm, I, yeah. quite, I quite like the the zombie ween movies. Yeah, I mean they're rubbish, but we enjoyed them. Well, that's kind of like most of the series, really. But yeah, <laughs> like it was I, a nice break from the Thorniverse and whatever else happened. And then the, the Halloween H two O reverse. And then resurrection happened, and you know we had to move past it. Great film. That's no, not film. one of the best. One it's the terrible. Best. It's really bad. Um, nah, but, it's good though. But Buster Rhymes does uh, utter the immortal line. Buster, Buster Rhymes fucking scissor kicks Michael Myers in the face at one point in that movie. Yeah, which arguably should mean it's the greatest movie ever made, but it just it just isn't that. It's it's so much worse. Anyway, uh, so where we're at in terms of the Halloween timeline. So yeah, Rob Zombie had his two. And also, if you could if you could elaborate on the status of Stonehenge in this timeline. Oh, okay. Well, we we'll, we can definitely uh, we can definitely mention yeah. that. Um, we have our is, The long and short is I don't know. Mm. Is it missing? Know. Is it missing? We can always assume Stonehenge is missing. Yeah, like, I mean, if people haven't heard the previous Halloween episodes, I wonder what they think of this Stonehenge chat. But let's just reiterate it again. In the film <laughs> Halloween Three: Colon Season of the Witch, it is a plot point that someone has nicked Stonehenge. Just, just straight up, just shoved it up their jumper, half-inched it, it's gone. Half-inched it, mate. Just fucking done one with Stonehenge. Now, you'd think Stonehenge would be quite a big item to steal, but you'd be wrong. Apparently quite easy. And made even better by when the villain is asked, how did you do it? He went, ha ha ha, you wouldn't believe us. And that's it. <laughs> that's I mean, that. I love that. I, I, love I that. do as well, because if you're going to write yourself into a corner... Just admit you've written you've written yourself into a corner. And just I mean, you it. might argue not to be too screenwriting class one hundred and one. You might argue if you don't have an explanation for how your villain has stolen Stonehenge or for what purpose, to be clear, you shouldn't write it into the script. But I would disagree with that statement entirely. I think any film that involves Stonehenge being taken, not just going missing, being actively stolen, is an instant five stars. As we've covered, Halloween colon no, Halloween three colon season of the witch is the best film in the franchise. 
I mean, it's one of the best films ever made because Stonehenge got stolen. Yeah. It's, it's that rules, dude. So anyway, yes, tell us where we are in the continuity. So, can, so, so let, let's, see, let's see if I can remember where we've been to so far. Go for it. So we had Universe 1. Yes. Which was Halloween. Yes. Halloween 2. Yes. Then we had Halloween 3, which was its mm-hmm. own weird thing that we've designated Universe A, because it's not even in the number system. It's just off on its own, doing its own thing. We yep. love to see it. Then we have Universe 1A, which is... Halloween, Halloween 2, but then followed by Return of the Mac, Halloween yep. 4, and then Revenge of the Mac, and yep. the Mac Curse goes crazy. Mac. Curse of the Mac. Curse of yes. the Mac. Yes. And so that's Universe 1A. We're, they're direct sequels to the first two Halloweens, but then the continuity is disregarded because Halloween H2O, oh yeah, comes out. And that is a Universe 1B, because it follows on from Halloween. And Halloween 2. Yep. It completely disregards the Mac trilogy. The Thorn trilogy. It does. Yeah. It throws the Thorn universe out into the water, but confusingly doesn't go into the water itself despite being called Halloween H2O. Now, yeah, that's, that is from, that's a whole thing. That is then followed by Halloween Resurrection, which is also part of Universe 1B. We then have the yep. Zombieverse, which is Universe 2. Yep. Because it's completely disconnected from the first Halloween, because it's a remake of the uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween is a remake of Halloween, yep. and then another film called Halloween Two, made by Rob Zombie, which has no real relation to Halloween Two, the original, is also set in Universe Two. So, Mark, tell us about, I guess, where we are now is Universe One C? Question mark. Go. Uh, yes, it would be Universe One C. So the the background on this one is essentially after Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, which is kind of a de facto end to Universe Two because every fucker's dead at the end of that one, and Rob Zombie was very adamant on that being the case, and uh, unfortunately didn't do big box office, wasn't particularly well received by fans, so they decided not to continue on. Even though a script for a Halloween 3D exists, we did mention this in the previous episode, but there was a script batted around for a sequel to Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which thankfully never got made, because I've listened to a podcast where they discussed the script and it sounds fucking diabolical. Um, So I'm Mm. glad that never got made. Um, So the Halloween series just kind of sat in stasis for a little while. No one really knew what to do with it. Uh, until we get to uh, the mid-2010s, in which it's announced that a new Halloween movie is going to be made by Blumhouse, who at this point had released some pretty good movies and also some absolute shite as well. Yeah, they uh, did. The as they Paranormal Activity movies. They did. And they did indeed. Did they do Insidious? Um, I'm not sure. Let me have a little look around. They certainly here. did Get Out. They did do Get Out, which is uh, one of their better movies, admittedly. Um, so, yeah, they did Insidious, The Purge, Sinister, Oculus. Uh, they also did some non-horror uh, stuff. They also uh, did Whiplash, oh. uh, Black KKK Clansman. Yeah, Black That's how you have to say Black KKK Clansman, yeah. Yeah, which is not a Friday the 13th sequel, despite the sound that you make when you say the title of that movie. Um yeah, they, they produced a lot of stuff, and uh, yeah, it was announced that they were going to be doing a new Halloween movie, so the sort of, at the time people were like, oh, okay, Blumhouse, they've, they've got a fairly okay-ish track record, so let's see what they're going to do. Um, I believe then David Gordon Green was announced as the director, which raised a few eyebrows, because ultimately David Gordon Green, his biggest success, I believe, at that point was Pineapple Express. Yes. 
which is a movie that I am fond of, admittedly. It's a funny movie. I'm not going to say it isn't. It is. But it doesn't but scream horror director to me. It does not, no. So I think people were... Uh, if, if I remember in the timeline correctly, I probably might be getting this wrong, so, you know, sue me in the comments or whatever. But um, Sue him in the courts. Yeah, I believe... Take him to court. Yeah. <laughs> so I believe David Gordon Green was announced as the director... And then the bombshell dropped, which is what got me excited about this, was that Jamie Lee Curtis herself confirmed that she was coming back for this new movie. Mm. Which was obviously a pretty big deal, because I was, even though she's been in quite a few of these movies at this point, the fact that she was like, no, I'm coming back and I'm playing Laurie Strode again, was a big deal, because everyone sat there and went, well, hang on a, a cotton pick a minute. Laurie died yeah. in Resurrection. Like, she's dead. She's brown bread in these movies. Deceased. What do you mean she's coming back? Yeah. So it was then announced that, no, this is not going to be a continuation of Universe 1A or 1B, whichever fucking universe it is we've classified this as. This is not a continuation. This was going to be a new sequel that would directly follow on from the first movie. So not even Halloween 2 was going to be canon to this new movie, which I was deeply uh, upset about. Uh, because as it's well documented, uh, I fucking love Halloween 2. And so yes. the hype machine started so to build on So we should say in that regard, the most important aspect to take away from Halloween 2 not being canon is that Michael Myers and Laurie Strode are no longer canonically brother and sister. Yes, which this movie makes a very... Well, this this 2018 movie does make a very clear point of. Mm. They they kind of hammer that home. And I remember when the first trailer came out, that was a big centerpiece. Yeah, it was the in the trailer. The dialogue. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so people didn't get confused. Um, so yeah, they came out and went, we're going to do this new Halloween movie and it's going to be a direct continuation of the original movie. Laurie Strode is back, but this is a different Laurie Strode. And I honestly, man, I was hyped. Like I remember reading about this and being like, shit, like this could be really quite good. And this was 2018. So this was just as the legacy sequel thing was starting. Yeah. I'm fucking sick to the back teeth of it now. I mean, we'd had, but at you that know, point, in terms of horror, I guess we haven't had much of this kind of thing, but We'd had, obviously, like, Star Wars The Force Awakens is, like, the big example mm-hmm. of the legacy sequel thing. And that was kind of the thing that people were following the leader on. I was like, oh, let's do franchise continuations that kind of redeem the franchise from installments that people didn't like as much. And we can bring back the original cast as old, sad people. And The Force Awakens really weirdly is the kind of codifier of this notion of the lego lego sequel it's probably been done prior to that but that was that's the model that they all follow regardless of genre yeah that, it's probably you know one of the best ones as well I yeah the say. force awakens rips i don't mind saying it it's just uh you know yeah i, I like it kind it. of it, went down it, the it was i mean it, it is kind of exactly what uh, a lego sequel it like at its core kind of is i mean it's kind of just star wars the greatest hits yeah, really yeah. isn't it like but, you know, it's a big, warm, cozy little movie. Like, I, I like Force Awakens a lot. I have quite a lot of thoughts on Last Jedi, but this is not the Last Jedi. And uh, Rise of the Skywalker, that was shit. That was unbelievably bad, yeah. yeah. Like, can't believe that was from the same team as Force Awakens. But we, we digress. I will say that it's kind of relevant to bring up the Star Wars comparison, because that, without meaning to spoil my final thoughts on this trilogy, this like a sequel trilogy... It follows a similar arc where it's like, start strong, mm, contentious yep. middle act with some poorly placed humour, and then yep. <laughs> and then we get to the third one. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, although I'm pretty sure me and you have some slightly differing opinions on the David Gordon Green movies, the Hallow Green movies. Hallow Green, the Greeniverse. Um, Get into the Greeniverse. The Greeniverse. Universe One Green. Universe, yeah, Universe One Green. The the this the naming system for the universe has gone completely down the toilet at this point. Just like these movies. So um, Halloween Twenty Eight no, Green, go. Yeah, Halloween. <laughs> Jesus Christ, we've already run that one. Halloween Green. Okay, this is what we're calling it. Halloween Twenty Eight Green. Okay, so Halloween Twenty Eight Green. I was quite excited for this. It has to be I green to be believed. Being... Go on. <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, I was I was pretty excited for this one, and then I remember the first trailer coming out, seeing the first trailer, and being like, "Oh shit, this actually looks quite good." And just everything about the trailer kind of really got me excited because it just it seemed like okay, we have this new version of Laurie that's got the Sarah Connor thing going on, and she's clearly a nutcase, and she's like, "I want to kill Michael," and Michael seemed like a fucking hulking behemoth again in this one. So I was like, "Yeah, let's fucking do it." Um, Release day comes around. I saw this. I saw Halloween twenty eighteen the day it came out, and uh, I'm not going to get too ahead of myself on my thoughts. But um, I was I was pretty satisfied when I saw it in the cinema day one. Aiden, what are your sort of basic thoughts on um, Halloween twenty eight? Well, I didn't see Halloween twenty eight green in the cinema. I waited <laughs> to see it at home, and I think you know I can't really remember when I first watched it. And I was saying this as I was watching it. Um, a couple of days ago, in preparation for this, I have forgotten vast swathes of the movie. Um, I remembered like some of the key sequences, which we'll get into a bit more as we go along, such as like the opening scene in the asylum, and then the like the the one. It's probably not a real one take, but the one the long take of Michael going around causing havoc, and the yeah. final showdown at the end of the movie. I remember when I first watched it, broadly liking it. Obviously, that was at a time before... It's kind of got the Force Awakens effect where it's like... I could probably enjoy it on its own merits now, but it's always going to be slightly tainted by the fact it's setting up, you know, less good films as it goes along. I would definitely agree with you in that I was was very pro-Halloween 28 Green when it was... That was the only one in this trilogy, and... I think watching it again now, it's still again. Like we might as well get ahead of ourselves a little bit. It's still the best of the three. Yeah, no, no trilogy, doubt about that. But, yeah. but it has definitely been marred by what comes after. Even though I think what comes after is kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, and once we kind of we'll get into um, the plot in a minute. But I also think it's not just that it's marred by what it's setting up. It's like this movie has a concrete ending, which is then undone by the fact that there's two sequels. Yeah, I, I would agree because the there is a yeah there's a finality to this movie even though the ending is perhaps a little bit more ambiguous than what most people would want it to be. I, to be honest, mate, I don't think it is. We'll get there when we've done the plot summary. I think. Well, I suppose not ambiguous. Maybe perhaps not wholly as satisfying as what maybe. All right, I think let's let's just get into the plot. Um, Mark, take us through the plot of Halloween Twenty Eight. Yeah. Cool. I'll try and keep it brief, uh, but we'll obviously we'll talk about the sort of the key scenes. So this movie starts where at Smith's Grove Sanitarium, which has obviously been a recurring location in this franchise at this point, because this is where Michael has been locked up in canonically in every universe that Michael is in. Smith's Grove mm. has always played a part. So we're at Smith's Grove, and we're introduced to these two British podcasters who are who, the source of all uh, evil. Do a true crime podcast. That's what this movie pitches. 
Which one? Which one is me, and which one is you out of the two British podcasters? Um, I feel like I'm the woman. That's and why you're I wanted the man you to say man. because because I feel like you would be more prone to doing those dramatic monologues <laughs> at the graveside. Whereas if I if we were about to interview like a trauma victim, I'd be the one to yeah, offer them yeah, money I first. Right. You know you're I mean? a, you're a briber. And let's provide no further context on what those, either of those You're things You're a briber, and I'm, I'm, um, I'm uh, yeah, just a twat. A, a theatrical queen. <laughs> Is that woman really British? Because I've got some questions about her performance. I, I'm not sure. I don't even... I'm still confused as to why they're British. I mean, I know it doesn't matter, but it's just, it's odd that they're British. Yeah, do I do. <laughs> it's very weird. Anyway, yes, take us to the... So we open on the uh, this, the uh, sanitarium. The... Yes, where these two podcasters... Sanit- are, sorry, yeah, sanitarium the probably about to the conduct word we use in not the 19th century. Um, <laughs> no, but that's what... That, it's always referred yeah, yeah. to as Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Like, that's what it's called. Um, yeah, so they're at Smith's Grove. Yeah. Let's just call it Smith's Grove. Um, and they're going to... Their plan is to conduct an interview with Michael Myers. Now, I He's not known for being chatty. Yeah. He wouldn't be a good podcast yeah, interview. So they like just breathing the whole time. Yeah, it's it's. A, I feel like it's they're fighting an uphill battle with that as a brief. You know, um, I, I mean, he put, is trying. He's like the, the male podcast is trying to get him to talk. That's yeah, thing, right? yes. And so we we're then introduced to Doctor Sartain, who is the doctor that is currently uh, in charge of Michael. I suppose the who, new who we'll be referring to for the rest of this review is not Loomis. Yeah, who is? They make a very clear point, and Jamie Lee Curtis, God bless her, tries to sell that line. You, you did point that out to me. Yeah. I won't, I won't she literally that. has a line where she's like, "So you're the new Loomis," and she can't even, she can't get through it. It's like that was the best take you had. <laughs> Knowing Jamie Lee Curtis, she said it once and went, "I'm not fucking doing that again." <laughs> I mean, we'll get into this as we go on, but there is some ropey dialogue in all of these. Movies. There really is. So, essentially, Dr. Sartain is showing these podcasters uh, where Michael is. So, they go out into this, like, rooftop yard area, which is decorated like some kind of weird checkerboard. It's very visually distinctive. I quite like the look of this. Um, And Michael is just stood in, like, a a little area, chained up, and he's just standing there. And I've always kind of... What's kind of what I've liked about this scene in particular is, like, Michael's just there. Like, they don't, like... He's in, like, broad daylight as well. Like, he's just some dude standing there. And if anything, I think that makes him a little bit creepier. And he's just got his back to you. Like I said, you never really see his face in any of these new uh, David Gordon Green movies. You see, like, the side of his face and stuff. Um, but the podcasters approach him, and they start talking to him, and he doesn't really respond. And then the male podcaster reaches into his bag to be like, oh, I'm somebody I know in the evidence department loaned me this, which is... All right. Yeah. yeah. Glossing over that. Um, he pulls out Michael's mask from the murders in the original movie, which Michael does react to, which I found uh, is something that on rewatches has always kind of stuck out to me as an interesting. Yeah, he do, he he doesn't see the mask because he's got his back to them, but he's like he senses the vibe. Yeah, he senses and all it, the which... other all the other loonies are going because there's a load of loonies in their little squares in the yeah. uh, in the area, and all the other loonies just start being like the minute they see the mask. And the scene just, uh, it hard cuts to credits as uh, the podcast is holding out the, the mask and he's just like, yeah. speak to me! And like, I think that scene's great. Like, that's such a It's good a very, scene. it's a, it is a good scene, but it's a scene from a much hammier movie than the rest of this film. <laughs> yeah. Because he is there going, 
Spooks, I'll be my uncle. And then it's like hard, it's like cutting, fast cutting between all these loonies, basically being like, into the camera. And it's like, okay. And like, it's like cuts to the, the uh, one of the warden's like guard dogs just going nuts as well. And it's like, yeah. okay. Um, the evil, the evil of the mask is sensed by all. Which is, which throws up some questions that these movies are seemingly too afraid to answer. I think. Oh, yeah, there's no... I mean, David Gordon Green and uh, his co-writer, Danny McBride, just process that for a minute. Um, they do not seem to be all that interested in answering questions. In fact, I would go so far as to say they don't even know what questions they're bringing up half the time. We'll get into no. that as we go into as we get into the sequels. Because there's definitely stuff that they follow on from this movie into Halloween Kills, where I'm like... You blatantly did this because someone pointed out, like, oh, you never resolved what happened with that character. We'll get into that. Yeah. Whereas that's the stuff that they shouldn't have been resolving. It should have been the stuff like, what's going on in this opening scene, where there's yeah. clearly some kind of greater evil at play. Yeah, because this movie, regardless of what goes on to happen in the other two, taking this movie as its own thing, it is very much trying to present, like, Michael Myers is just some guy who killed a bunch of people... He's a bit of an urban legend, but like he's not explicitly paranormal in this film, I would argue, no. apart from this scene with the mask where it's like, oh, the crazies can sense the mask. Yeah, that's like the only real indication of something supernatural happening, whereas, yeah, this one kind of plays it very straight, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, as you so, said, hard, yeah. hard cuts to credits. Hard cuts to credits where we get... Uh, that's one thing I will say about all three of these movies. Um, I like the pumpkin sequences. I like that each movie has its own distinctive uh, riff on the original pumpkin opening credits thing. I like that they mm. kept that, and I like that it's different in each yeah, one. Yeah, because this one's like a, a deflated pumpkin that slowly becomes inflated. Yeah, it's like the the rebirth, which is yeah. it's cool. That was a, that was a it's, nice little it's, motif. It's a motif based on Michael's um, penile issues. Yes, yes. I'm glad they addressed that in this one because yeah. I was I was wondering if they ever. Well, were. he's getting to an age where, and there's no shame in this, listeners. The, sometimes men get to an age where it's harder to get it up, and it's you know something to be ashamed of, you know. Mm. And Michael, as I Michael, wouldn't know. As Michael, no, no, me, me neither. Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> Strong, powerful erections every day, mate. But um, I've got one right now. I've got two. Oh. Do you keep one in your drawer for <laughs> special occasions? <laughs> but anyway, as Michael has proven many times, you can't keep a player down. No, you cannot. Um, so after this opening credit sequence, I'm just going to breeze through this as quickly as I can. Uh, the podcasters go and visit Laurie, who lives out in the middle of fucking nowhere in this like fortified house surrounded by barbed wire with a collection of guns. And she is like... They basically bribe her with $3,000 for an interview, and the interview lasts all of maybe two minutes, because these podcasters have no fucking tact whatsoever. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, yeah, so, like, uh, tell us about how your daughter got taken away from you and all this. It's like, come on now. Like, this, you, you're paying her three grand, but, you know, ease in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's almost know? like this scene was written purely to have some exposition to explain what uh, has happened right? to Laurie over the last few years. Yeah. And because they have to cram this shit in, because two to three scenes after this, those podcasters are dead. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is kind of like we're saying this is the best of the trilogy, but it's certainly showing issues that will be prevalent throughout this trilogy. Where like this scene is a great example of that. Where okay, you've got these podcasters; they're interviewing Laurie. The podcasters don't really factor into the plot. So they, as you say, they get murdered shortly after this. 
it's literally just there so that Laurie can explain pretty much to camera what's been going on in her family life. And the only other use they have in the plot is that they're the way that Michael gets his mask. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, so the interview does not go well with Laurie. She boots the podcasters out of the house. We then see uh, Laurie's family. Uh, you have her daughter, Karen, who's played by Judy Greer, who I think is pretty much wasted in these movies, but she's a welcome presence oh, yeah. nonetheless. I mean, Judy Greer is the queen of fucking thankless tasks when it comes to her film career. She's just <laughs> she, she's always cast in these roles where she's not doing anything. She was in the, no. the Jurassic World movie and she's like fucking not, is, not in yeah. it at all. Um, yeah, she's always in these thankless roles. Despite the fact she's a great actor. Do you know what I found out she was in recently that I had no idea? She's in the, the new Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah, she's like Caesar's wife, right? Yeah, which is weird because she like that character doesn't really do much No, either. she gets bumped <laughs> off in the third one pretty unceremoniously. So they brought Judy Greer in to mocap this character that doesn't yeah. really do anything. I mean, I guess uh, she's, she's a voice actress, I guess. Yeah, I mean, she's a jobbing actress. It's one of those things. But obviously, people who know Judy Greer from, like, Arrested Development or from um, Archer or various other things that yeah. she's done. Yeah. So we're introduced to Karen, played by Judy Greer, and we then also meet Laurie's granddaughter, Alison, uh, who is played by Andy Matichak. I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, relative unknown at this point, which um, David Gordon Green has said, like, uh, he wanted to cast an unknown because obviously when they made the original Halloween, like Jamie Lee Curtis was an unknown. Mm. So yeah, he wanted to kind of keep that guy. And this chick is definitely uh, going to... places. <laughs> I have no idea what she's been in since these movies, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think that speaks for itself. Well, yeah, yeah, quite, <laughs> quite. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're introduced to uh, the, the rest of the Strode family. Um, we have a nice little scene that mirrors the original where uh, Alison's sitting in class and looks out the window and sees Laurie standing there mm. and staring at her, much like how Michael did in the original movie. Uh, Laurie tries to give Alison the $3,000 and is like, just just run away, just, just, just leave. Um, which, you know, as far as, you know, being a grandparent goes, is pretty fucking sound, I'm not going to lie. Um, fair play to her uh, but it's very much implied at this point that uh, Laurie doesn't really get on very well with the family as much uh, Karen doesn't really want much to do with her due to her traumatic childhood as a result of the what Michael put her in the original yes. movie um, is this, a, this is another so time Alison, by the way do we ever find out who the father is of Judy Greer no so it's, it's never this is mentioned. another example of why is this always the case in every universe that Laurie Strode ends up having a kid with dubious parentage. I don't know. It's just it's one of those things. I think I think it's because writers like to focus on Laurie as being like like her and Michael, like that's the only connection that she has, yeah, really. Yeah. I think that's what the writers like to do, which is a shame because, you know, there's stuff to be mined there. Hmm. Um But people are afraid, Aiden. They're afraid to go that far. No, they're not. They're just lazy. Um but no, so essentially what happens from here is uh, the podcasters... Um, well, actually, no, no, sorry, before we go back to the podcasters, uh, we see that Michael is being transported to another prison for some reason. Don't know why they think that's a good idea. That never works out in these movies. Ever. No, that's yeah, that is another Halloween series trope. They're always transporting this guy and he just gets out. Yeah, like, why would you want to move the dangerous It never looks that hard for him either. He's always just like, right, now's the time to escape. Well, especially in this movie where we don't see how he escapes as such, because we cut to a, a, a rather odd scene 
in which uh, a man and his uh, young son are going hunting, but they then have a debate about how the kid doesn't want to go hunting. He'd rather go to his dance class instead. Yeah. The first of which is a the scene. first of many uh, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, pointless conversations. Yeah, where they try to very quickly establish characters that are purely in the movie to be bumped off. And I, I mentioned this to you off mic, where like the best slasher movies try to give their canon fodder characters at least some kind of memorable aspect, so you know you can at least. I don't know, enjoy their characters before they die. Whereas I feel like these movies try really hard to yeah, give characters. I think the like, thing is with most like slasher movies, personality of this kind. Stuff. You're right. You get a little bit of like Halloween Two is a good example of this with all the orderlies and stuff at the hospital. You do get a little bit of a sense yeah. of like he's going out with her, she's doing this. They have this relationship. The one guy's a bit of a dick and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it's like one scene, or it's maybe two scenes yeah. where it's like. You just quickly establish, and also those are the characters you're then watching get bumped off for the rest of the movie. You know, it's not just yeah. like here's two random people having a conversation about something that will never be relevant again. Because no. that's the other thing. We're using the Halloween two example. Okay, it sets up all the orderlies who are on the night shift, and it's like, oh, they have these guys are friends. These guys don't get on. He's dating her, but she thinks he's a bit of dick. All this kind of stuff, and it becomes relevant because then the way they react to Michael running around and killing everyone is informed by those early scenes where you've set up all the relationships. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, yeah. This These movies are just content to have characters... And we'll get into this because there's loads of examples as it goes along. But these movies are just content to have characters show up, have pointless, quote-unquote, quirky conversations, and then just be promptly killed off. And it's one of the most... In the same, in the same scene. scene. And it's one of the yeah. most annoying traits of these movies because... Here's the thing. We've got to address the elephant in the room. And appropriately, these movies are Miramax productions. But every, not everyone is Quentin Tarantino. Now, yeah. I want to make this point because obviously David Gordon Green actually comes from this world of independent film, right? Um, and I think a lot of people in those that world, you know, because actually a lot of his movies before he did things like Pineapple Express and Your Highness and all that kind of stuff... He did a lot of kind of like mumblecore type indie movies, you know, very plot light kind of character comedy dramas. Yeah. And he's trying to apply that. Yeah, I've looked at his filmography. Yeah. And I've not seen any of those no movies, admittedly, has. but they sound worlds apart no from anything else. That he's <laughs> but yeah. and but that's the thing. So like the reason I bring up Quentin Tarantino is because like that's a trait of his movies that people always go to, is like the character conversations are not always like super plot relevant, but they're always kind of like fun a bit quirky there'll be characters having deliberately so having conversations that aren't relevant to the plot however this is the difference between like a good writer in tarantino's case and you know david gordon green and danny mcbride just as an example sorry i know i'm going on a tangent here but i've just watched these these movies in no, no, quick ahead, succession so it's something that was bothering me the whole time so if you take the opening scene of reservoir dogs right that is a scene which mm-hmm. has no relevance to the plot in the rest of the movie, and it goes on for about 10 minutes. It's just the guys who are about they are about to do the heist, they're in the diner, they're just chatting shit. Most of the conversation is like, uh, Mr. Pink doesn't want to tip, and like, Mr. White's getting annoyed by mm-hmm. Mr. Blonde, and like, it's, it's just kind of characters just rolling around and all the rest of it. However, the thing that is good about that scene, although the, con- and obviously there's the famous discussion of like, Madonna's like a virgin being about a, yeah, guy with big dick and yeah. this kind of stuff. 
it's completely pointless in terms of plot, but what it does do is your four main characters, Mr. Pink, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Orange, it sets up their characters really well. Because you have Mr. Pink being like, I don't tip, yeah. I'm not that guy, blah, blah, blah. Then as the movie goes along, he's the guy who's always, you know, he's trying to be professional, he's trying to be the guy. Mr. White, he's like the team dad, he's trying to like fucking keep order amongst these animals. You see Mr. Blonde is like already kind of tweaking Mr. White's nose. He's kind of, and yeah, obviously he's later revealed to be a complete psycho. And Mr. Orange is just kind of like playing along with whatever White says, which obviously he's the cop. And then it also kind of informs their weird relationship yeah. later on where like he actually comes to like Mr. White and, you know, feels almost feels bad about betraying them, even though he's a cop and they're criminals. It sets their dynamic up and but in a way that doesn't let you that isn't just turning to the camera and being like, This is what all these characters are like. And that's the difference between that kind yeah. of quote unquote pointless conversation and these fucking pointless conversations. Which literally build They build nothing. nothing it's just characters coming characters. in and being like, Oh dad, I want to go to my dancing class and he's like, No, you must be a man and go hunting. Oh look, some loonies have escaped from the- Oh no, there's Michael Myers. Ah, that, that is the scene. Like, yeah, that is literally the scene. Uh, which is worth pointing out that the first on-screen death we have of this movie is of a child, which is, uh, you know, pretty hardcore for your, your opening death. And not just, a, not just a child, but some fairy who wants to go to dance class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael clearly takes issue with the kid wanting to go to dance class. So. Yeah, he's seen Billy Elliot and he's having none of it. He's, he's a man of his time, is Mr. <laughs> I Morris. think what it is is one of the um, only VHSs they had in the sanatorium was Billy Elliot, and he's just he's fucking had it up to here with little ballet dancing kids. <laughs> he heard them having that conversation. He was like, fucking ballet! Just chasing him with a knife. <laughs> so, yeah, we've kind of just spoken about that scene. Yeah, literally, the, the father and son are driving along. Yeah. The bus has been crashed. Um, father and son are both killed. Michael gets a car and, and does one. Uh, Michael then goes to Haddonfield, uh, where the podcasters are at Judith Meyer's grave, and they have this scene that I'm a little bit obsessed with because it's just so ridiculous. Where they're at the grave, and he's like really just dramatically being like, "She was brushing her hair, and he came in with a knife, and he stabbed her 17." And I'm like, "This seems really distasteful. Like you're just crouching at this woman's grave, <laughs> just making and a if podcast." You're wondering- if you're wondering if this Who movie would do such a thing, yeah, quite. Not us. If you're wondering if this movie is going anywhere with the uh, true crime satire, it ain't. Nope. No. 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 Because in the next scene, uh, because Michael is watching them at this graveyard at this point, um, some dude walking around in inmate attire. No one. Well, that's that. another thing. Just all these loonies no, that no escaped the bus to. with Michael Myers are just roaming around the whole time. Yeah, which but is not in this one. In the next one, they're just um, like. Yeah, some loonies are just roaming around, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so then um, Michael follows the podcasters to a uh, gas station uh, in which he kills the mechanic and some other people there, uh, steals some overalls, and then whilst the uh, female podcaster is in the toilets, Michael attacks her. And Having a quick shit. Kills the, he, kill, he kills both of them, basically. A very Which is a reference, which is, I think, a homage to the Rob Zombie Halloween, where Michael Myers kills that black guy who's having a big shit. It, remember that scene? I think it is. I do remember that scene where Ken Forey's just having a shit, reading porn. That's it, Ken Forey, yeah. yeah. Where he's like, brother, I'm trying to have a shit over here. Remember that scene? I do. It's just where he's reading the porn mag and he's just like, ooh, not a girl. <laughs> it's just so... Doing, having what's known as a blumkin, I believe. <laughs> I thought that's where you get sucked off on the toilet. 
Oh, maybe, yeah. yeah. I don't know why I know that. He's having... Well, let's just say he's having a tour gander. He's, yeah, he's, he's two, two birds, one stone, you know? But this classy British podcaster, as far as we know, is not rubbing one out whilst having a book. No, no, she's just having a, a, just having a cheeky poo, you know. She's been caught short. A, quick, a, a little British poo. Um, and you know she's British because she, when she wanders into the uh, the gas station, she's like, which way is the loo? Yeah, that, and the guy's that like, scene. what? That scene bugs like, the, the toilet? <laughs> or no, she goes, the bathroom? And it's like, come on now. It's like, we get it, you're British. Um... I mean, to be fair, she was truly British. She'd just, uh, she'd just squat and have a piss around the back of it, wouldn't she? <laughs> and where's the bogs, mate? <laughs> I'll shit on the floor here in a minute. <laughs> it's touching cloth, pal. Okay, now. Halfway out my arse, mate. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, the, yeah, so Michael kills the two podcasters. I quite like the scene where he kills them in the toilets. I think it's quite good. Um, yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, very violently kills the, the dude. He just like, because that's thing, you don't see the, the guy die, but Michael smashes his head into like several walls and stuff, and you just sort of see him slowly succumbing to brain damage in the corner, which is pretty, pretty grisly. Yes, yeah, pretty grisly, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the female podcaster, she just has her neck snapped in the toilets. Although I do like the bit where she's trying to escape under the stalls and twats her head on the toilet. <laughs> Because I'm not sure if that was in the script or not. Because <laughs> she, like, proper whacks her head on that toilet. <laughs> she certainly sells it if it wasn't in the script. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Michael kills them, takes the mask, uh, and then we basically... There's some guff about, like, Laurie being, like, the bus crashed, and the sheriff's being like, oh, we need to be prepared because Michael's coming back. Fuck all that noise. We just then go to what is possibly the best scene in the whole movie, in which it's like a one take of Michael walking down a neighborhood and just going in and out of different people's houses and just killing people. And it's like. I feel like the thing is there, Mark, you've glossed over how long that guff goes on for. It's a good 15 minutes. Yeah. It's yeah, a there's a lot minutes. of guff. Like, you, you see Michael Myers escape and he's like going around killing. And then there's a good 10 to 15 minutes of just random people in the Haddonfield Police Department. Including the sheriff, who's um, a big black guy with a cowboy hat, and is my favourite character because he's he was there like he's there like, what are you going to do? Cancel Halloween? Ha <laughs> ha! Like that's how he delivers the line. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I did want to say that this is a good time to bring up um, one of my my uh, woke critiques of these films, which is like, have these two white writers ever met a black person in their life? Um, because, the answer is no. Because <laughs> every single black person in this. There's two kinds of black people who live in Haddonfield, according... This is maybe contentious ground, but bear with me, listeners. There's two kinds of black people that live in Haddonfield, according to David Gordon Green, right? There's either old black people who are like, oh, yes, sir, that Michael Myers, he's no good. <laughs> or there's younger black people who are like, shit, man, it's Michael Myers. Like, skipping ahead slightly, but one of the kids that they're babysitting is just that. He's like he, a, he a, is, he, and he's possibly like a, the best character in the movie, a bit. <laughs> don't get me wrong, he definitely is. But the the he's like an eight year old boy. But all his dialogues like well, fuck that shit. It's Michael Myers, shit boy. It's like what the fuck is going yeah, on here? But like, he even gets a bit where he's on about how he's sitting up clipping his nasty ass toenails and his baby. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and uh, that's the exact terminology he uses. Yeah, and all all black people thing. in these movies talk like that. They're always like nasty ass or crazy ass or whatever. And it's like, and they they then even go a little bit further with that character where um, he's like, oh, I'm going to tell my mum that you guys are smoking weed, and then she's like, oh, well, I'll tell you more about your browsing history then. And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> 
Like that's that's a, an unsavory detail we didn't need to have in this movie. Um, yeah. yeah so after... This is the thing. Just just to kind of underline the point I was making there is like, it's not like the residents of Haddonfield. I know it's a small town, but they don't portray it as like like in the Rob Zombie movies. Haddonfield is like stereotypical hick town, and everyone talks like yeah, that. like it's it's white trash central, yeah. Because it's a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah, because everywhere is white trash central. Yeah, but in this movie, like. I'm not. I'm not. Look, I'm not accusing David Gordon Green or Danny McBride of being racist. I'm just saying, all the white people talk like normal people. All the black people talk like cartoon characters. That's all I'm saying. There is a huge distinction between the two, isn't there? And it is very, yes. very noticeable, and it sticks out to me more and more every time yeah, I've seen this. Because movie. to their credit, there are a fair amount of black characters that come in and out of these movies. That is true. Yeah. However, they all talk like cartoon characters, so it's kind of like. What are we doing, guys? Like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't quite. It just, it doesn't. Yeah, it's it's an issue. It's an issue. Um, speeding through some of the the rest of the plot. Um, so yeah, Michael's gone around killing again. Laurie's like going off on one. She's like, Michael's escaped, and she's like trying to get her family ready. And they're just they're like, look, mum, you're delusional. This is not a thing. Uh, they're not taking it seriously. Um, Laurie's granddaughter goes to the school dance with her abusive boyfriend, um, who's kind of a non-entity in this movie for a lot of it. Oh, he's a real non-entity. Like, uh, yeah, we should say, um, what's Laurie's granddaughter called? Alison. 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 Alison's dad, who, you know, shout out to his family, he doesn't make it through the end of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. at the start of the movie, when she introduced, when it's introduced, like, oh yeah, she's got this boyfriend, they're going to the Halloween dance, blah, blah, blah. Her dad's like, oh, he's from a bad family. They're bad people, you know? They're not good. They're not right, these people. And the extent of what we see... Because you say it's her abusive boyfriend, but he isn't really. It's just when he gets no. when he gets to the Halloween party, she thinks he's cracking onto some other girl, which he may or may not be. And he gets a bit drunk and is like, you're a bitch. And then he's never heard from again in this movie. And he chucks her phone in some custard? Yeah, in some, in some <laughs> general pudding, yeah. Some general pudding, yeah. Well, I say abusive. He's abusive in that moment, but like, yeah. He, and they, and like she, she just says, she says like, oh, he's a dick when he drinks. Like, it's not necessarily. And, and this is the thing. Like, it almost feels like he's only in this movie to justify a reason as to why Allison doesn't have a mobile phone. Yes, that's it. And it's like, yeah, just have the bitch drop it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> don't, you don't need to fucking like. She can smash it escaping or something you know yeah. yeah so she goes to the halloween bash her boyfriend gets drunk and he's a dick to her i should say though, shout out to their couple costume they're going as uh, gender swap bonnie and clyde which is a is a look it's admittedly. a look yeah uh it suits them both very well um so she then walks home with her boyfriend's best friend who is uh not jonah hill he really is not the- jonah hill isn't he he's such not jonah hill isn't he and he's <laughs> i'll tell you what else he's not getting any because he certainly, he certainly <laughs> tries. He does. Um, which does also lead on to one of my favourite scenes in the movie as well, actually. So, Alison's walking home with her uh, boyfriend's best friend, who is drunk and then tries to hit on Alison after they uh, they climb into the Elrod's garden, which is obviously a reference to Halloween 2, because Mr. and Mrs. Elrod is... Obviously. <laughs> I know that you don't know obviously that, but I do. Listeners, obviously it's a reference to Halloween It's, it's, it's Mr. and Mrs. Elrod. Everyone... It's Halloween 2, Aiden. <laughs> do you want some mustard on your sandwich, Harold? Do you not remember, Aiden? <laughs> obviously, everyone remembers. One of the most iconic Every... scenes of the movie. Everyone Aiden. remembers the Elrods, right? It's like fucking, you know, like in Marvel when fucking Captain Gleepglorp appears out of a portal and everyone fights. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that. 
Everyone, everyone in the cinema when they heard, oh, the Elrod guy, and they were like, woo, yeah, woo. <laughs> I mean, I was. Yeah. I was like, ah, it's the Elrod. No, um, That's because we, sh- no, we should yeah, say yeah, whenever Mark goes to the cinema, he takes two bottles of red wine with him. So by this point in uh, the film, he was thoroughly trashed. I, I would like to point out I did take a bottle of wine in the cinema for the sequel to this, but that's a whole other story. He's a famous um, drunk, is Mark. Uh, uh, I prefer the term lush, personally. <laughs> continue, um, continue. But yeah, no, this Where is, are we? We're at the Elrods. How could we forget? We're at the Elrods place. We're at the Elrods place. We're El- at El- 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 Ron Hubbard's I'm, place. I'm furious with you. I want to hit you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's so coming to blows. It's on... coming to blows on the last Halloween episode. It's 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 been a long time coming. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're in the Elrod's back garden, and uh, we have a great scene where Allison decides to ditch not Jonah Hill, and he's like on the floor, like like I'm really drunk, and I, I I don't know. And then Michael appears behind him. Yeah, and uh, he I like this scene because he thinks it's Mr. Elrod for some reason. He thinks it's Mr. Elrod. Well, in actual fact, it's Michael um, And I like it where he starts talking to Michael, being like, "You ever just liked a girl? And you just you know she doesn't like you back, and he's just having this like." This little outpouring to Michael, I think, is. See, I, I do. I, um, I didn't mind this scene, but I thought it would be better if Michael like just sat down next to him, like just fucking just <laughs> t- just sat down next to him, wait, like you know, like as if he's going to say something wise, and then the guy turns to him and he shanks him. That would have been funnier. Well, that would have been funny, but I do like what they do. Because that's the thing, um, Michael doesn't he... do any bits in this film. He does a he does one bit. No, he doesn't. Not like he, he used to. Bit. Not like when he used to, when no, he used no, to no, nick no. someone's car and pretend to be them. No, he doesn't do that. I mean, he kills that one babysitter and, like, puts a sheet over it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, Jesus. It does one bit. He goes, Jesus. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the one time you hear Michael, Michael uh, talk, he goes, fucking state of that, and just throws a sheet over it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, the bit that I like in this scene, other than the dude having the little outpouring to Michael, is uh, there's a, a motion sensor light in the back garden. And I remember when I saw this in the cinema, as soon as I realised it's a motion sensor light, so I was like, why has no one done a motion sensor light with Michael Myers before? That seems like a perfect yeah, yeah. set piece for that character. And I like what they do with it in this movie, and then, like, yeah, the dude gets killed um, because he tries to escape on a fence and then yeah, gets, gets like, a, a impaled, fence impaled on the fence pole, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, not a great way to go. Nah. Um, we then get Alison sort of gets chased by Michael, but doesn't, which is a bit of a weird scene because mm. she's doing the bit from the original where Laurie's running down the street, but like she goes to maybe two houses and someone lets her in. It's like really anticlimactic, yeah. <laughs> which is a shame because, and it's one thing we do have to point out about these movies um, the scores for these movies are all done by John Carpenter and his mm. son. And the score during that bit where Allison's running down the street is like amazing. It's yeah, the, the score movie. is like a highlight of this trilogy in general. Like John Carpenter and uh, yeah. Cody Carpenter are great. I mean, yeah, I I would go as far as to say I think it's some of John Carpenter's like best work as a composer for a film. Like I, I think it's I think it's all good like across the board. Yeah, it's I agree. All good. So yeah, Allison gets help, and Laurie's like, "Okay, we have to get to my house uh, because um, you know I've got guns and everything." So they're trying to convene for everyone to go to Laurie's so, house, but they can't get in touch with Allison. Just to point this out, a fun fact: um, I was reading that Jamie Lee Curtis is a big proponent of gun control. And she was adamant yes. that although uh, uh, Laurie's a crazy survivalist in this movie and has lots of firearms to hand, she was adamant that she wouldn't have AR-15s or assault rifles or anything that she, uh, in real life, supports the ban of. I think it's an interesting element. That is interesting. Yeah, because I remember when this movie came out, there was a lot of like right-wing 
commentary trying to condemn her for like oh you're against guns but you're in this movie where it's like yeah but you know she condemns everyday civilians walking around with automatic rifles this is a movie in which she's trying to stop a supernatural killer there's kind of you know there's there's, there's a yeah, disconnect yeah. there you know very different issues <laughs> if you've got a michael myers walking around i think a shotgun is fine you know what i mean um but uh, yeah, so they they're trying to get to they all get to Laurie's house, and then we have the the worst part of this movie's writing, I think, is where we've got uh, the sheriff going around with Doctor Sarte and trying to find Michael. Uh, they pick Allison up and they go looking for Michael, and they find him. They run Michael over. Uh, they get out of the car, and the sheriff wants to kill him, and Doctor Sarte stops him by stabbing him in the neck, uh, revealing that he is the one who's responsible for Michael escaping because he's been obsessed with him for years and has wanted to actually see him in the wild because he's like, Loomis was the only one that ever did. And I'm like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah, it's um, that's so stupid. So mm-hmm. stupid. And that whole character, Dr. Sartain, just exists. So we have a way of getting Michael to yeah, Laurie yeah. for the third act. Like, it's... That's, the, that's another problem with these movies. Not only do they waste screen time by giving these new characters they introduce pointless dialogue that adds nothing they also have characters whose entire purpose within the movie is one just one thing that they have to do to yeah, get the story but then you get you get a lot of, of that they have kind of like, actually you're saying about this this car sequence because there's another example of a pointless conversation here where it cuts to the two coppers because obviously at this point the coppers are all out in force there's two coppers in um in a police car just chatting about their lunch yeah. It's not like And that scene goes it's on. It's not for a, a funny conversation. Time. It doesn't inform anything. No. It's not but, like he's like, I got loads of hot sauce, and then Michael Myers steals some hot sauce and lobs it in his eyes. Like, no, it's nothing. It's just it's just no, them talking about his preference for sandwiches. And about how he's asked the Vietnamese sandwich place that he goes to to make his partner a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Tedious. Pointless. They're killed instantly. So what's the point? And then those cops don't even get killed on screen, from what I recall. No. They die off no, screen. It's it's such a waste of screen time. It's such a waste. It's such a waste. This isn't a, uh, this isn't a long movie. It's like hour. It's like an hour forty. It's not long. Yeah, it's, just... it's not like it's in a rush, you know. Um, yeah. But no. So the the finale of this movie, which I think we're both in agreement, is like the best part of this movie. Yeah, by as far. a whole. Yeah. Um, Michael gets to Laurie's place. Um, Laurie, who has got like her basement, which is like her armory and stuff. Like, so she's there. Yeah, because one thing we we did gloss over is that Judy Greer, um, growing up with Laurie as her mum, like there's a brief flashback where you see that Laurie was like making her do loads of crazy survival shit. Yeah, like to, you know, from a young age, like showing her how to like put a gun together and stuff, and so, yeah, that's yeah. part of like where her resentment for Laurie comes in and stuff. Do you think these guys have seen Terminator Two: Colon Judgment Day? I think they might be aware of it. Hmm. They might know its mm. themes, you know. Um, mm. Seen the poster mm. once, maybe. But mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they... they Because, re- I mean, Laurie in this even fucking looks like Sarah Connor. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's very it's, intentional. It's kind it? of an elephant in the room. And weirdly, I didn't see that many reviews touch on this when I was kind of b- briefly glancing over the reviews. But, like, to me, it's such an obvious kind of throwback to Terminator 2. I mean, look, if you're going to rip off a kind of slasher sequel, I guess Terminator 2 is the way to go. Yeah. But it's a bit like it is very much a poor man's like Sarah Connor from Terminator Two situation because God bless Jamie Lee Curtis, she does a good job from a performance point of view, but like the writing just isn't that interesting for Laurie. 
it can't no. commit to her and this is the thing okay so this is the thing with Sarah Connor we will discuss the climax in a minute this is a point I wanted to make the thing with Sarah I mean we've talked about Terminator 2 on the pod so you know go and listen to that but the thing that's interesting about Sarah Connor in that movie is like yes she's gone from being you know this harassed waitress in the first movie to being an absolute unit in the second movie who's like a crazy survivalist obsessed with the Terminators obsessed with preparing John for Judgment Day but what that movie has the balls to do and what James Cameron was prepared to do in the writing is like, she's not just a protagonist who's always right. In fact, her crazy bitchness is a factor in the plot, right? And like, like John even has to turn around to her at several points and be like, you're being insane, you need to stop this. You don't get that with Laurie Strode in this. Okay, you get like the conflict with Judy Greer where she's like, Mom, Michael Myers is never going to come back. That's my Judy Greer voice. And then she goes... It's pretty dead on. Yeah. You're never going to see these again, Michael. Spring break! That was a uh, Arrested <laughs> Development reference for all the fans out there. But... Um, um, what was I saying? Yeah, it's very like superficial conflict between the family where the granddaughter's like... And they call her grandmother the whole time, which I thought was weird. But um, Yeah, that that was jarring. No, no, Nobody in the modern era... No. Refers to their grandparents. As grandmother. We all call yeah. them Gram-Gram, right? Um, yeah, or Grammy-Grams, Nana. Whatever, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that old bitch. Um, no, no, no. So the point is this. The conflict is very minimal between them, and it's very like superficial, as I say. It's just like Judy Greer being like, Michael Myers isn't going to come back. Laurie being like, yes, he is. Then Michael Myers comes back, and it's like, okay. There's no point where Laurie's like crazy survivalness really affects like her in a negative way. There's no real moment where it's like it's a detriment to them in this movie. No, because they like Laurie is basically they're like Michael's escaped. We've got to you know everyone needs to get to my house, and like everyone just agrees with her. Yeah, that that's the best course of action. Which is weird. It's kind of like how in the older movies, everyone just goes along with whatever the fuck Dr. Loomis says to do. Yeah, even though he's proven time and time again that he's a dangerous maniac. <laughs> like, he should not be allowed around that little girl. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but He will get her killed. But yeah, so the twist of the kind of third act is that we find that Laurie's house is like rigged up to be a Michael Myers death trap. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And we have this, in, this like prolonged scene where Michael breaks into the house. It's like, and... it's like Home Alone. Yeah, it's like Home Alone, and I, I really like this scene anyway because it's actually quite suspenseful. I like it's, it where it's like a slasher movie, Home Alone. Yeah, like Ju- Judy Greer is in the basement, and Laurie's upstairs. She's got a shotgun and a torch, and she goes around the house looking for Michael. And uh, I like this little aspect where all of the rooms have got like shutters on them, so she clears a room of Michael, closes it down. Like I, I like that as a, a little piece. Um, her and Michael have a bit of a scrap. Um, Allison shows up at the house um, gets into the cellar um, with Judy Greer Michael realises there is a cellar uh, which is beneath like a kitchen island which he's able to rip out of place Um, we then get what I think is the best moment of this entire trilogy and is a moment that I've I've seen this movie quite a few times and I always get so pumped by this moment because it's just credit to David Gordon Green it's so well done where uh, Michael rips the kitchen island out of the way. We see like up the staircase, 
and Judy Greer's there with a gun and she starts, she's like aiming up the stairs and she starts like crying, being like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then Michael steps into frame and she just goes, gotcha, and just shoots him in the neck. And it's so fucking good. Yeah, that is a, that like, is that a great moment. That moment is yeah. great. It's so good. Um, and then uh, they basically manage to knock Michael down into the basement. They all get out and then it's revealed that the basement is, like you say, it's a trap. And so they lock Michael in and then all these... Uh, like fires start up and then the house starts burning down. Yes. To which which they're like, Michael, you're getting fucking killed. Uh, they escape the house, they get picked up by a truck, and that's how the movie ends. Like it's a very sudden ending. Yeah, because it's kind of like one of the last images is like Michael Myers staring up at them from that cage thing, like the fire engulfing him. Yeah, which is a really cool shot. Um and yeah, it's a very abrupt ending for a movie that's spent a lot of its runtime waffling about with characters talking absolute bollocks. But uh, yeah, it's a strange one to end on. It just ends on the image of the knife. And I was always a bit like, I feel like there should have been more to that. Like maybe there's a bit more. If that's what I kind of meant about it. like maybe not an entirely satisfactory ending. Because um, yeah, it's very abrupt. But yeah, that's Halloween 2018's plot in a nutshell, as plot as it is. Um... I think, personally, like, my opinion of this one has definitely dwindled a bit more over time, but as a movie, I still find it very watchable, I still kind of, I still quite enjoy it. Um, To some people, like, it's quite a common consensus that, like, this is the best sequel in the series. I don't agree with that personally. What do you think, Aiden? Uh, I mean... uh. (laughs) <laughs> it's a difficult question to answer, Mark. I think this movie is... I mean, if we're getting into our rating of this movie... I think I'm going to kind of give it a, a light good. Oh, sorry, we should say the rating system mm. is slashingly awful, stabbingly great, Loomis, uh, <laughs> Danny McBride. No, but the real rating system is... Um, I couldn't be bothered to commit to the bit of that one. The um No, that's fine. The, okay, so the rating system is good, good but I hate it, shit, shit, but I like it. And I think it's kind of do you know what I think it's kind of balancing delicately between a good and a good but I hate it. Because it isn't a bad film. As you say, it probably is one of the stronger sequels all told. I think, it, and the, you know, bearing in mind the numerous other instalments of this this franchise, like there's a lot of them. To be honest, though, if I was going to throw on a Halloween movie other than the original, I'm more likely to reach for Halloween 2 or Season of the Witch or the Rob Zombie one or Resurrection Mm. before I get to this. And this is technically a better film than Resurrection, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But Resurrection is much funnier. Yeah. And about 10 minutes short. This is is one of those ones where... If someone's like, do you want to watch Halloween 2018? I'm always like... Yeah, sorry, I, I think you mean Halloween 28 like, Green. Oh, Halloween 28 Green. Yes, yeah, sorry, I, I do apologise. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of echoing your thoughts there. It's a, it's a light good, because I think it is one of the stronger sequels, in spite of some of the problems that we pointed out. Like, it's got enough genuinely quite good bits that it it kind of... Yeah, it's, it's, it's very watchable, it's quite entertaining, and I think it tosses some interesting ideas in the air it doesn't quite follow through on a lot of them and some of the ideas it tries to carry through into its sequels it completely shits the bed on but we will get into that so that's Halloween 28 green um 
The greenest like, of uh, the Halloween movies. <laughs> the, the super green. Super green. <laughs> so, after Halloween 28 Green, <laughs> um, we were supposed to get... Uh, the idea was they announced that it was going to be a trilogy, mm. even though it was originally supposed to be two movies. We will get into that. Um, they then said, right, Halloween Kills coming out next year. Halloween Ends will be the following year. That didn't quite happen because COVID happened. Yes. Uh, which basically they they shot Halloween Kills and they made it and they did some reshoots on it as well, I believe. Um, And they were going to release it, but then COVID happened. And as a result, they decided to just delay it by a year, which was... um, Quite a quite a move. The fact that like uh, quite a lot of people in the the Halloween fandom were quite annoyed by that, being like, "Well, the movie's ready to go. Like, if you put it on like a paid streaming service, like we will pay to see it. Like, you know, people will it'll still make money." But the powers that be said, "No, we will wait a year and we will release it when we can actually release it into cinemas." Which you know, fair enough from a business point of view, I understand it. But then they released it on streaming. Yeah, on the same day it was released in cinemas, which is very, very weird. Yeah, which was um, a little bit of a godsend for me in a way because um, I wrote a piece on Halloween Kills after I saw it, and um, it was great because I saw it in the cinema, and then the following day was able to see it online. So writing about it was quite easy (laughs) because I could actually just watch it again, which was quite handy. but uh, yeah, so Halloween Kills, um, the second in this godforsaken trilogy, uh, was released in 2021. So, so a- is this the sorry? Is this the third Halloween two, or is Halloween Twenty Eight Green the third Halloween two? That's Halloween Twenty Eight Green is technically the third Halloween two because it's a sequel, I guess. Yeah, to Halloween. Yeah, Halloween Kills is yeah, it's technically a Halloween two, but it's Halloween Kills, which I just want to point out, and I've thought this ever since I first heard it. That's a really fucking stupid title. It reminds me of Machete Kills. Yeah, but that works in that context. (laughs) Machete Kills again in space. When is it happening, Robert Rodriguez? When is it happening? When is it happening? That's the thing. Like, if Eli Roth, like he released Thanksgiving this year, which I did see and quite enjoyed. Um, we waited long enough for that. So Rodriguez, come on now, get your ass in gear, mate. Come on, that's what we all want. Okay, what's Rodriguez? Too busy doing? directing fucking Mandalorian episodes or whatever. Oh, is that no, what Boba Fett episodes. Yeah. Oh, he did. Um, didn't he do Elite Battle Angel as well? Was that him? Yeah, and that yeah. Was pro- but it was produced by James Cameron. I've not seen that. Which also, uh, just quickly backpedaling, there's a character in Halloween 2018 at that school dance that's wearing an Alita mask. I remember that quite yeah, vividly. Yeah. Also, just a fun fact, um, guest on the last episode of the show, Jack Gamble, uh, once famous, famously in our friendship group anyway, um, he tried to say, do you want to go and see Alita Battle Angel? But clearly couldn't remember the title of the movie. So he came out with Alita Leota, Queen of Speed, which is... <laughs> What that what that movie is now known as in our friend group. <laughs> I've not seen I've I've not seen Alita Leota Queen of Speed. I, I've not seen it either, but that's all I'm ever going to think of it as now. So thank you for that. Much you better know. title. <laughs> Much better. If there was a movie called Alita Leota Queen of Speed, I'd definitely go and see it <laughs> just to find out what that's about. 
So, Halloween Kills. Um, I remember being excited for this just because I'd enjoyed the 2018 movie when it came out. Mate, you had a like, raging hard on for this movie before it came out. Ah, uh, yeah, I was. I, I'm not gonna lie, mate. I was, I was in. I was in for it. I was in for Halloween Kills. I was like, yeah, like it's just gonna be like a, a Michael Myers rampage movie. Let's go for that. And obviously, it was quite heavily implied to be riffing on Halloween Two, and I love Halloween Two. Um, and then, then this is when like some of the the doubts start to creep in when they're being like, "Oh, Marion Chambers is in it, Sheriff Brackett's in it." I was like, "Right, we don't need these characters in this movie." They're like Tommy Doyle and Lindsay are in it. I'm like, "Yeah, we don't necessarily." And Tommy need them. Doyle, Tommy Doyle, not played by Paul Stephen Rudd. Apparently, he was approached. Oh, really? Uh, well, because yeah, he did a movie with um, David Gordon Green. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, did, um, he Prince was approached Avalanche. about it. But, <coughs> okay, interesting. But I've, I'm pretty sure it was due to Marvel that he couldn't do it, like scheduling. Yeah, I'm sure that's why. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, it would have been kind I'm sure of. That's, I'm sure that's what he said. I'm sure he said, "I'm doing an Ant-Man. I couldn't possibly." It would have been great to have Paul Rudd in this. I think like that would have been a nice thing. Because what's interesting as well is that um, Kyle Richards, who plays. Uh, Lindsay in this movie is the same actress yeah, yeah. from the original movie and she's now a real housewife which is damn girl real housewife of Haddonfield yeah because uh, the famous meme of the, the real housewife shouting at the cat she's the brunette I think I yeah, may have mentioned yeah. that on the show before yeah. um, just yeah, briefly so she... explain who the hell these characters are to the people that home so yeah they brought back to basically any character that was in the original movie and the actor wasn't dead they brought them back uh, so Tommy and Lindsay are the two children that were babysat in the original. Sheriff Brackett was Annie's dad, and Marion Chambers was the nurse that was with Dr. Loomis at the beginning of the first movie, who they brought back in Halloween H2O, and she dies in the first sequence. Um, Timeless characters who we all remember. Yeah, and so that was where the alarm bell started ringing for me when they kept saying, we're bringing this character and this character back. I was like, yeah, this is not going to bode well. But then it was revealed that Ghost did the song for the movie, and then my hype was back up again. So mm. I went for a roller coaster with this movie before it came out. See, I didn't um, know that Ghost had done a song for this movie until I was watching it for the first time when it came out. And that was probably the only part of the movie that I cracked a tiny smile at. <laughs> Whereas I was like, is that Ghost? And I was like, that is Ghost. That was yeah, Tobias, yeah, Ghost cheeky little Tobias Forge making some money off this. Yeah, he's kind of become like the de facto horror movie soundtrack guy now. Yeah, because he did uh, a song for Insidious with Patrick Wilson, right? Yeah, they covered Stay by Shakespeare's Sister, which That's is a really right, good cover, yeah. by the way. Yeah, it's not, um, bad. it's not bad. Apparently the movie is fucking shite. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't do a song for Exorcist colon Believer. <laughs> Called that Your Mother Sucks Cops in Hell. <laughs> I mean, I'd, yeah, that'd be good. They should always just. I mean, it's, all I'll say is it says something when these horror movies are these Blumhouse pictures are relying on the credibility of Tobias Forge to sell a fucking project. Very, very true. Um, but yeah, so Halloween Kills came out, and I saw it opening day um, because I was like, I'm ready for this, and uh, I remember my initial thoughts on it being like, that was something. Mm. Um, had a few glasses of wine in the cinema because I was going out for a friend's birthday afterwards. So Halloween Kills was my pre-drinks that night because I'm a nice. classy, classy broad, you see. You are a classy and, broad. And, uh, yeah, I remember at the time enjoying Halloween Kills but not thinking it was particularly good. <laughs> that was kind of my main takeaway from it. Yeah, this movie was pretty divisive, right? Like, people weren't yeah. super into it. 
Yeah, because there are still people within the, the Halloween fandom, because I'm still part of all these weird groups of these, you know, these basement dwellers. <laughs> and there are some people these that goblins. absolutely... These barely human <laughs> freaks. <laughs> there are some people that really, really love Halloween kills. They, hmm. you know... They can even get past its major flaws that it has that we will obviously discuss in a second. Um, but there are people that think it's one of the best Halloween movies. They love the, the just the sort of senseless brutality of it, and which is you know which is fair because like this is of of the three of these movies, this is the 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 most like down and dirty slasher movie of all three of them. It's you know it's the slasher movie one. And they, you know, the body count in this movie, I'm pretty sure Michael kills more people in this movie than he does in it, the entire fucking rest of the franchise, maybe. Yeah, I think that's the thing with uh, Halloween Kills, is like, it's definitely got that kind of grimy slasher movie element to it, and a lot of the actual killsing that happens is that kind of gruesome and quite intense and enjoyable in that sense. Mm. But... <laughs> And it's a very big asterisk on this it's movie, a isn't it? Big old butt of the kind that Sir Mix a Lot once sang about. Um, <laughs> yeah, this movie is bogged down by a lot of quite shit character drama that goes yeah. on way too long and has people constantly saying the phrase, evil dies tonight, evil dies tonight, evil dies tonight, evil dies tonight. Yeah, that's very much become the meme of this movie. That I, I, I mean, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are clearly trying to add some kind of element of satire into a a movie called Halloween Kills. Yeah, I, I mean, let that rest for a satire second. Satire might be a generous <laughs> term for what's going on here. I mean, they certainly think there's some kind of social commentary they're making about like mass hysteria and probably trying to tie it into the whole Trump situation. But yeah. what they're trying... Is a Halloween movie the right place to do well, that? E- even more so than that question, because I would argue, no, it isn't. But well, also, yeah. what are they trying to say in this movie? Because, I mean, we'll go over the plot in a minute, but so the thing... That, okay, so if people haven't seen it, the main thing is like uh, Tommy Doyle, not played by Paul Stephen Rudd, leads a bunch of... Because he's hanging out with a bunch of the other survivors, as Mark mentioned, of Michael Myers' initial rampage. And this thing that happened in the late 70s has apparently haunted this town forever and ever and ever. Which doesn't make a lot of sense, because bear in mind, none of the sequels happened in this universe, apart from Halloween 28 Green. So, quite why everyone's that obsessed with... Michael Myers is a little bizarre. So, okay, yeah, like the survivors would be traumatized by this, but there's been like several generations since then, most of whom probably would just be like, yeah, it's a bit weird that that happened like down the road from us. It's crazy. Fucked up. That would be their attitude, right? Well, like, why is it this thing? That's the scene in Halloween Green 28 Green. Yeah, right, because in Halloween Green 28 Green, yeah. in the scene where they discuss that Laurie is not Michael Myers's sister that that's like an urban legend the teens are being like yeah literally that one of the kids one of the kids literally has a line where he's like oh yeah he killed a few people in the 70s who cares like yeah like worse things happen these days i'm like very good point 
And it's something that I've mentioned to you time and time again. I think one of the, the biggest problems with what these movies are trying to do with Michael Myers, and especially when it gets to kills with this whole evil dies tonight thing, is the fact that Halloween 2 is not yeah. canon is a big detriment. Because that's where <laughs> Michael racks up a much higher body count. And not only that, like because he kills a lot of people in Halloween 2, like, he's also partly responsible for a big chunk of the hospital being blown yeah, up. Yeah, right. Which... You know, not to overthink these incredibly silly movies, but you know that's the kind of thing that would haunt a town. Yeah. You know, that would have an effect on. But it's town. almost like, and like you the know, dialogue that... in the first of these Gordon Green movies is like, it's a little flippant and stupid when the kids like it's clunky when the kids like, oh, worst things happen today. But he's kind of got a point because if you think about, and again, not to be too realistic about these movies, but you know, this movie is trying to say something about mass hysteria, God knows what. Um, but if you think about like in the states. Where on a pretty much weekly basis, it seems like they have an, like an active shooter situation, and you think about how high the body counts get in those situations, and then you think about like yeah, Michael Myers stabbed five people in the seventies. Like, is it really going to be this thing that haunts the town? That's like, my God, the evil that plagues this town to this day. Like, the motherfucker's been in an insane asylum for like forty years. And the only people that are still talking about him are the people that yeah. encountered him. Like, it's it's not even a thing for anybody else. No one else is talking... Other than these two British asshole podcasts. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's... It, and that's the thing. The first movie presents it as, like, oh, it's, like, a point of interest for the town. It's not necessarily this thing that's, like, the evil that rises. It's, like, the people who were there when it happened are, like, oh, my God, it's Michael Myers. It shit has hit the fan sort of thing. Yeah. But in a sense... But think- in a sense, it's more realistic, where it's, like, he's just a mindless killer. Like, we have to get him. Like, the police are, like, we have to get him. Like, there's no... Because God knows what he's going to do. It's not a situation of like, he's the devil, he came up from hell or whatever. It's just, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, if this movie just focused on the survivors banding together to try and hunt Michael down, that would be fine. Yeah. Like, that would work. But it's the fact that, like, it, it yeah, they, they're going to this, like, mass hysteria route where everybody in the town gets swept up in what they're doing, and it's just so fucking stupid yeah and it's the fact that they keep saying that evil dies tonight evil dies tonight yeah. yeah but i do have to say this movie is bad but it's very entertaining i will I say it has its moments there were long stretches of watching this film it's... today where i was bored out of my mind i can't lie about that there's a few instances where they could do with reining some of the character stuff in because they, they just keep introducing new yeah. characters to be And you barely like, see uh, the strobes in this people, movie. Uh, that's the thing that gets me. No, that's true. Yeah. They get sidelined. Laurie spends the entire fucking movie Because it's Halloween 2. Like, like, yeah, okay, fine. But even then, like, you know, in Halloween 2, yeah. she does something. In this movie, she's in a hospital <laughs> like bed the whole time, again. has a few arguments with her yeah. family, and then at the end is like, yeah... Michael Myers, he's bad. So we'll we can we can very quickly yes. condense the plot of this movie down because this is a very very tell the tell the tale of a movie. So this t- picks up exactly where Halloween Twenty Eight Green <laughs> yeah leaves off with the house on fire, Laurie and her daughter and granddaughter being carted off towards the town, and we then see a bunch of fire engines go past them, and Laurie gets her big moment of "Let it burn," which is is great. Mm. I like that moment. Um, but then the firefighters go to the house where Michael has not burnt to death because he was hiding in Laurie's gun cabinet thing, 
which I remember when I first watched this movie, like, where the fuck is he? But when I watched it this time, I went, oh, you know, he's actually concealed in her gun. He hid up his own ass. Um, He did. So Michael escapes the house and massacres the the entire fire. At the end of Halloween 28 Green, no, he fucking didn't. He was dead. (laughs) That guy was dead. (laughs) He was on fire. He was on fire and exploded. (laughs) But this one, he got got better. (laughs) He's alive. Yeah, uh, one thing I will point out that I do like is uh, I like the I like the look mm. of Michael in this movie. I like the half burnt mask and stuff. I think he looks really cool in this one. Um, but yeah, so he kills the fire crew uh, and then just goes on a rampage. So after that, uh, he goes to Laurie's neighbor's house, which is an old couple, and uh, the black lady that lives there. She is from the first movie. I didn't realize that when I first watched no, it. I mean, I watched the first movie on Thursday and I watched this one tonight, and I'd forgotten that that yeah. person was in it. Yeah, she's the. Yeah, she's the gravekeeper right, of right. Haddonfield Cemetery. That's who she is. Cool. Um, so she, yeah, she's in the first movie, but like she's apparently Laurie's neighbor. So Michael goes to their house and just kills them. Why not? Oh right, because she's like, in she's in the third one as well, right? She is in the third one as well. Yeah, even though she definitely died. Yeah, in this I one. thought the same, but yeah, she's alive in the third one. We'll get yeah. to that. Yeah, we'll get there. We, we'll obviously we're, we don't want to run too long on this episode, so we'll breathe. This is obviously that. when they do a, another reboot of Halloween, they'll bring this character back. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Um, but yeah, so he goes and kills the neighbors, and then basically Michael just sort. But of, not not before we've had a long sequence of this woman and her husband messing around with a drone. Yeah, that yeah, which goes on a while, and apparently there is a deleted scene. I've not seen it where you see from the drone's point of view, and it sees Michael or something. And the reason well, that they, would almost be a reason to have it in the movie. Yeah, and apparently the reason they cut it was because it looked really shit. <laughs> okay, we'll but, cut the whole conversation about the drone. Yeah, then, David. but they kept it in. So, um, David, but cut that. But Michael kills the living fuck out of these two because he stabs the bloke up mm. and then he takes like a tube light uh, from the kitchen and smashes it and jams it in that woman's throat. That's that's definitely not the most like horrific murder in this movie. I think, even though she doesn't die. Yeah. Like, but it's it's a really well. She does, but well, we yeah. find out that she didn't. It's it's a really just like prolonged sequence of him just jamming this tube light in her throat, and then we have, which is I think it's one of the best shots in the movie, where the camera sort of slowly creeps round as she's like dying, and Michael puts her husband over the kitchen counter, and he has this kind of like he kind of does a bit, I suppose, where he's just taking knives from the knife block and just jamming them into this man one by one, and he kind of it's, there's like a. I wanted to shout this out in the first when we talked about the first movie, but I'll shout out this. I really like James Jude Courtney's performance as Michael in these movies. I think he's quite good. But in that bit, he has this kind of like it's hard to describe it, especially because this is a podcast and you can't see the action I'm doing. But he has this like he sees the body, he sees the eyes, like ooh a knife, and jams it in. He's like ooh another knife. Like there's almost like a sort of playfulness to the way he does it, and I think it's quite fun. Um, so yeah, he kills the fuck out of those two, and then you have the people. Uh, you have like Tommy, Lindsay, Marion. Uh, Lonnie, who is from the original movie as well, he's the little kid that bullies Tommy Doyle. He's a character in this movie, right? Because but then he's he... being bullied in this movie, was he not? Say again, sorry. Was he not being bullied in he this is, movie? Yes, Lonnie? so it's worth pointing out as well. The at the start of this movie, we do have a flashback to uh, that shows how Michael got caught, which I think is one of the best parts of this movie, in my opinion. Right. Um, so yeah, Lonnie, who was bullying Tommy in the original movie, you see him getting bullied as well. Um, because Lonnie is also the dad of, um, Laurie's granddaughter's boyfriend. 
And if you're not following this, listeners, trust me, watching the film doesn't make it any clearer. No, it really doesn't. There are, really there are doesn't. numerous points in this film where I was going, oh, that's, oh, that's his dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still none the wiser about why we had a 10-minute scene of him being bullied by some kids who I don't think we ever see again. No, 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 because that's in the 70s, isn't it? So we never see those yeah. kids again. Um, so why no, did I need to know that he was being bullied? Because literally so that sequence, because that flashback, okay, there's a long flashback sequence at the start of this movie. Yeah. But that part of the flashback, you see child Lonnie, who is the dad of Alison's boyfriend who was running around in drag in the last movie. Oppenheimer's brother, that, that guy. Yes. He is, yeah, he is like walking home. These kids bully him. Uh, they're just being horrible to him. This cop pulls up and is like, there's a guy in a mask. You need to go indoors. He's killing people. And that's the end of that flashback. Or that's the end of that part of the flashback. You then see this character again as a as a grown man. And you're like, why did I need the backstory on this? You could have just been like, he's the boyfriend's dad. That would have been enough, actually, David Gordon Green. Yeah, like, okay, I know that the, the basement-dwelling goblin nerds like yourself... You know, you can throw in like, oh, he's the kid who was bullying so-and-so in the original movie. Yeah, like, yeah, that's fine. That's, you don't that's need fine. Him. Yeah. You don't need him to... I mean, you don't really need him in this movie at all, to be honest. But, like... No. And the only it's that thing where they're obsessed. They're obsessed with all this, like... These are the residents of Haddonfield, and these are their descendants. And it's like, who gives a fucking shit? Like, what do the fans me, like right? this? Because I'm just not even following it. Like, you told Allow me, like, oh, he's, he's the kid who bullied Tommy Doyle. I was like, okay... Allow me to be a proper basement-dwelling goblin for a second here. This is actually a point of contention I have with Lonnie being in this flashback as well, is because when you're first introduced to Tommy, we're obviously talking all over this fucking movie, but it doesn't matter because plot is not... It doesn't have a plot. Look, I can tell you the... Do you know what? If people want to know the plot, here's the plot. Tommy Doyle and his mates are obsessed with trying to get Michael Myers. They fuck it up. They kill one of the mental patients. He's one of the guys we actually saw in the first movie. They kill him... And then they're like, oh, well, we should try and kill Michael Myers anyway. They go to Michael Myers, they beat him up as a group, but then Michael Myers is like, you can't keep a player down, stands up and kills them all. Um, then Judy Greer gets killed. That's the end of the movie. That's, that is literally the movie, yeah. It's Michael kills a bunch of people, Mob tries to kill him, Michael kill Mob, Judy Greer died. That is like, I'm, I'm not being that facetious is. when I say this. In terms yeah. of plot, that is the movie. Because, yes, the there's a long stretches of Michael Myers going into people's houses and killing them, killing those people in the car, just going around killing people. It's basically that. Occasionally intercut with Jamie Lee Curtis in a hospital bed going, oh, we killed Michael, and everyone being like, no, you fucking didn't. And so, Oh, and there's a bit where Judy Greer is saying to Alison, don't go out, stay here with Grandmother. And she's like, no, I'd rather... I'd rather try and kill Michael myself as a teenage girl with my teenage boyfriend than his alcoholic dad. That seems like a great idea. The boyfriend yeah, gets their killed. Their motivations in this movie make no fucking sense. <laughs> the boyfriend gets killed quite well. He gets shoved through the uh, the railings of the banister at um, Michael's house and then gets his head twisted all the way around. So, um, for his he, troubles. Yeah, Michael... Doesn't Michael, like, um, he stomps on her leg as well? Like, he just, like, snaps yeah, her yeah. leg at one point. Like, she's, like, about to be full-on murdered by Michael. Um, but no, and then Judy Greer does flashback. get full-on murdered by Michael. She does. And then um, Jamie Lee Curtis is like, ooh, that's, ooh, that naughty Michael. So, yeah, I think, like, so that's the plot. We don't need to talk anymore about Oh, oh sorry, about, like, we do need things. to address, because we'll come back to this. And it turns out Michael's whole thing was he was just going back to his old house. Yeah. Which is because currently occupied by two gay men who are both called John and refer to each other as Big John and Little John. 
And uh, one thing before we go back to the flashback is uh, I saw some people criticizing the depiction of uh, the gay characters in this movie. I'm not like, surprised. Oh, so, uh, but part of me is there, like, they go, oh, yeah, that's so, like, that's not a great depiction. I was like, I'm sorry, right? Only a gay couple would move into a serial killer house and tart it up, you know? <laughs> I think the thing is, it's it's in line with the black characters in these movies where it's like, yeah. it's very much straight people writing gay people. and it's When they're listening to old spooky Halloween music, it's like, do you want to get high yeah. and dance together? and they're definitely like, they're, they're fun characters, I guess, but again, it falls into that thing of like, this is the problem with this this movie and the next movie. It starts in Halloween 28 Green, but it just gets worse and worse as it goes along. You're introduced to so many characters who mean nothing to the plot. Because all the, So Big John and Little John are a great example of this, where they're introduced several scenes before Michael encounters them. It's just introduced that like they're, you know, they're, they're living in Michael Myers' house. Some kids try and play a prank on them, and they're like, you know whose house this is? It's Michael Myers' house. Ooh. Uh, you find out that one of the Johns, like, the mum died or something, and that's part of it. Um, yeah. It's just mentioned that no blue. Doesn't matter at all, never comes up again. And you see them just generally hanging out. Several scenes of them just generally hanging out and having gay banter. And you're just waiting for Michael to go and kill them. Yeah, and he does. Not yeah. even particularly ceremoniously either. One of them just dies off screen. And it's like, yeah. okay. Uh, which is Little John, who is ironically the taller of the two. Yeah. Which... Uh, and and uh, by the way, during the sequence where Michael invades their home, they are still referring to themselves as Big John and Little John all the way through. They do, which is very jarring. Yeah, and that's kind um, of this is an issue with this movie is like it so wants you to take its themes really seriously, but also it's trying to be kind of a funny slasher movie, and it's just not really working. For me. Like this Big John and Little John characters, they could have worked in a movie that wasn't taking itself as seriously. And it's kind of like a funny idea. It's these camp gay couple who have moved into Michael's house and, like, you know, obviously he turns up and kills them both. But also, like, another example of this is... So, early on in the movie, this is one of the least coherent Halloween reviews we've done. We're just bouncing all around Halloween Kills. I mean, Halloween Kills is kind of just an incoherent movie. (laughs) But early on in the movie, when we're introduced to adult Tommy Doyle, and Tommy Doyle, as we've mentioned, was the boy that Jamie Lee Curtis was babysitting in the first movie. Um... So, when we're introduced to him, he's at a bar during a Halloween talent show. Now, you'd think, if you were going to introduce one of your major characters just chilling at the bar on Halloween, you'd start with him. No, no. We start with a couple who are dressed as a doctor and nurse, and it turns out they actually are a doctor and nurse. And we get a good couple of minutes of them talking about uh, where the woman... And again, these are two black characters, so they're obviously talking like, mm-mm, oh my God. Like the woman's obviously like, mm-mm, your, your nasty-ass boss was being all inappropriate. And you get two minutes of that. Mm-hmm. And then you get them being annoyed by the Tommy Doyle party over at the table to the right because they're being too loud. And then... I do just want to quickly stop you for one second. Did you realise that they're in the first movie? No, they weren't. They are. They're in the first Where movie. Where were they in the first movie? You know the scene where Michael's going door to door, killing people? Right. Th- Michael walks down the street. You see them two walk out of their house and have a conversation. And he goes back in the house and she looks directly at Michael. Right. They're in the first movie. Okay. Yeah. Like, they are. I just wanted to point that out. They are in the first movie. What? 
in the, in Halle Green twenty eight Green, yeah, like they are in okay. that movie. And I, I mean, the fact that I don't even remember time, that scene tells you all you need to yeah, know. Yeah, it's a very minor yeah. thing, but they. But are this is the, the problem with this movie. movie, right? Sorry, this is the problem with yeah. this movie. It's like it's obsessed with yeah. all this minutia yeah. that doesn't fucking matter. Like, okay, it's like it was trying to be a TV series. That's the vibe oh, it's this I thing get. of like, oh yeah, the fans will love it that these two random characters from the first movie have lines in this one, and it's like, okay. I don't care. But also, like, the, the other thing as well is, like, just, again, just due to, like, the way these characters are introduced and mm. stuff, and I realise how this is going to sound, Racist. but bear with me. I assumed they were the parents of the the kids. Right, yeah. Do you know movie. something? But they're not. I thought that's not. where it was going to go in this movie, yeah. actually. Because they do make a point of, obviously, one of Laurie's mates is, not Laurie's mates, one of fucking Allison's mates, is babysitting the, the little boy. But do we ever see the parents yeah. of the little boy? You don't, but because in the scene where Michael's going from house to house, you see them leaving a house right, to go yeah, to a Halloween yeah. party, I assumed they were his parents. I would make a certain amount they're of not, sense. Because I'm they surprised see- they're not, because everyone else yeah. is somebody's fucking parents. Yeah, literally. Literally. And like, I didn't try to be like, oh, well, they're, they're a black couple and he's a black... I don't want to like make that right. connection, but like... I thought that was the case from where how the movie oh. sets it up, but then they see him on TV being interviewed, and they go, oh, it's that little asshole from across right, the road. Yeah. And I'm like, so it's not his parents. And this is the other thing, right? Speaking of the slightly stereotypical racial representation, and we've done too much on this for two white guys, but I, I need to get it off my chest. We, we have. The, no, when no, they're having the conversation... Well, okay, so when Tommy Doyle's mates at the bar are being too loud, and the doctor and nurse couple are like, oh, they're being loud. Hey, guys, can you quiet down, please? All this stuff. They go and speak to the barman, who is an older African-American man. And, and just, can you guess how this man speaks, listeners? It's, uh, it's not great. He's literally like, oh, don't you worry about them assholes. They just, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. Mark, I'm not exaggerating. No, that, that is, is how this, it sounds like it. he's about no, to be like, oh, them crawdads or whatever. And it's like, what literally, the hell are we doing? Yeah. Like, it is 28 green by God. Can't we just have... Black people be normal people, or just people of colour be normal people in these movies? Like, but again, this is this is kind of thing. So, that sort of thing. Okay, in a sleazy exploitation movie that isn't trying to take itself seriously, where all the characters are stereotypes, white or people of colour, they're all stereotypes. Yeah, you can get away with that because it's. And I would argue yeah. that that's kind of what Rob Zombie does in a lot of his movies. Like, he can get away with it. Yeah, because everyone's a stereotype. All the white people in Rob Zombie movies are fucking like crazed hicks, right? Like, there's no, there's no nuance to anything in those movies. Whereas this movie's trying to take itself so seriously, and yet it has these like stereotype cartoon characters wandering around. And anyway, we need to get back to this bar sequence because this is where we're introduced to Tommy Doyle, who has not learned Mm -hmm. in forty odd years to read a room because he's at a Halloween he's at a Halloween talent show. (laughs) And they say he's going to do some bird yeah. whistling, and not sure All what that right. means. But then he gets he gets on the mic and he starts doing his type five for the comedy store. J.K. He actually starts talking about Michael Myers, and he goes on a big old monologue like hey, it was forty years ago and Michael Myers did this and that and like over in that table are all the survivors and by God it's tedious it's, and it's I hate it. I hate that scene. I genuinely hate it. Like, when I watched this again the other day, because I, I want to point out as well, I watched 28 Green and mm. this back-to-back. Because I watched um, Kills and Ends back-to-back. Yeah, you did it the other way. I, I decided to watch 
the first two and then take a day and then watch ends because that felt more appropriate story wise. Look, I just want to say um, this. Not sorry, not to do screenwriting one on one, but I need to get this out before we move on, right? No, that, no, scene, that sucks. scene sucks. It's like a five minute <laughs> monologue about shit that anyone who cares would already know about. Here's what you do. If you want to introduce Tommy Doyle, middle-aged man, traumatised by the events of the first movie, here's what you do. You have two of his mates, the other survivors of the movie, driving to his house, and you have one of them go, Oh, do you think Tommy's okay? You know how he gets on Halloween after what happened. Oh, he hits the drink, but that's why we're going around to make sure he's okay. After all, uh, you know, we're all sharing in this. Done. Two seconds. You've established it. Don't give me this fucking monologue that goes on forever where he's like, Oh, the evil of Michael Myers. It's ridiculous. Honestly, you could still, like, you could cut that monologue because I'm pretty sure there's a bit where the bartender is talking to the yeah. dude dressed as a doctor. Immediately and he says, Oh, they do yeah, this the... every year. They come here every year to drink he literally on says Halloween. It. And then they That's still have the scene of, you know, having the crawdad man say that shit wasn't enough. They had to have Tommy Doyle get involved and be like, Here's five minutes for the comedy store of why Michael Myers is bad. Because then he uses it to introduce all the other characters. Literally, with a spotlight. He's like, let's get a spotlight on this traumatised person. Yep. Let's get a spotlight on this traumatised person. It's like, goodness me, movie. I don't care. And the, and the worst thing is, is like for people like me who are fans of these god-awful movies, we already fucking yeah, know who And the people who people don't know are. don't need to. You can just go... They survived no. Michael Myers the first time. That'll do. Like, Yeah, they can go back and watch the movies yeah. and go, oh, it's that person. They can do that shit themselves. Stop treating your audience And that's like the thing as well. morons. I mean, they are morons because they're paying this to see this This bar scene shit. goes on forever as well because it cuts away to some other stuff, cuts back, and then we have the Doctor and Nurse character it's awful. going up to the survivor's table and being like, hey, sorry about earlier. Like, We didn't realise. You, you can't get you a drink. It's like, what am I watching? Because all of this is just a setup for when they go home, Michael Myers kills them all. That's all it's setting yeah, up. But even then, if you cut that, if you cut Tommy Doyle on the microphone, and then like you know, the bartender says, "Oh, they do this every year," and then they apologize, then they sign to become friends, and then they become the mob going after mm. Michael. That's fine. That is absolutely fine. Especially like because. I like the fact that, like, when those two get involved, they say because they are actually a doctor and a nurse, they're like, "Oh, well, if anybody's injured or anything, we want to help them." I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's fine, fine character motivation." It's just that it takes the movie like yeah, fifteen to twenty fine. minutes to get there, when you could do that so much. Yeah, quicker. it really does. And then their deaths are fucking yeah, hilarious. I'd say the assault <laughs> on the car by so Michael funny. is very funny. But this is what I'm talking about. It's like black comedy, like because like the nurse woman, like he he makes her shoot herself by like knocking her gun or whatever, <laughs> which is so funny. And like you see, and it's kind of it's so in a funny. way, it's an interesting scene because it's that thing of like it's setting up. Ah, oh, the survivors are going to take their revenge, and then because they're just old and knackered, they're no good. Then they just immediately get butchered by Michael Myers. But it's played so over the top that it's like, am I supposed to find this funny? Because a minute ago you were setting these characters up as like. Oh, their trauma. We're going to talk about the trauma of the town and, you know, the things that Michael Myers did to everyone. And then the next minute, it's like a Friday the 13th movie where I'm supposed to be laughing at the deaths of these people. Like, it doesn't know what it wants to do. I can... I, I can definitely shed a little bit of light in a sense, because obviously I saw this in the cinema when it came out, and, like, the all the bits where, like, Michael was rampaging got, like, a good response in a, in a crowded cinema like you know like that's the stuff that worked the stuff when it was going down this whole evil dice tonight route and all that yeah silence you know like nobody people was people going to the loo having going out for a fag coming back yeah whereas like when yeah when michael was like yeah when she shoots herself after he kicks the car door uh 
rapturous. But this is this is the fundamental the issue it with this was, movie. It was is a like, great moment. if they just committed to it as a goofy slasher movie, it's really violent. Let's do it. Fine, that's something you can do. If they committed to it, kind of being a deconstruction of the mythos of Michael Myers and being like, this is what happened to the small town where he rampaged through it. Like this is the effect he had. Interesting drama. The thing is, I don't think these writers are equipped to write either of those movies. And the thing is, they tried uh, to write both at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what lets this movie down. It's like, the slasher stuff is actually, it's, it's quite brutal. It's, it's kind of darkly funny in some ways. But then it's juxtaposed against all this stuff that's like, oh yeah, evil, the nature of evil. Like, oh, Michael Myers is the devil. He tore a hole in this town. It's like, and then all the mass hysteria thing where they kill the mental patient. Who, by the way, clearly is not Michael Myers. Because Michael Myers is like six foot ten. Lit. Yeah. And what's even funnier, they show his mugshot yes. on the fucking TV yes. at one point during the movie. <laughs> but that's and the thing that drives me mad about oh, that so, thing. Yeah, like, basically, I mean, I'm not Mr. Plot Holes, I'm not Mr. Cinemasins, right? But you're right. There is an element of this movie where, like, Michael Myers has been in his mental hospital for 40 years, not wearing his mask. And we know it's been covered by podcasts. We know it must. We know what true crime industry is like in in the real world. People would know Michael Myers' face. It would have been on the front of a newspaper. Because, you know, him being unmasked would have been a thing, right? He would have had to go to trial at some point. This is the problem with these movies. It's like, I don't want to be thinking in this amount of detail about a movie that is essentially Man With Mask Goes Crazy. Like, I shouldn't be sitting there... Yeah, I shouldn't be sitting there going like, well, presumably Michael Myers had to go on trial. Like, What happened there, you know? I mean, presumably he wasn't that chatty in the courtroom, but like... Everyone was, must have seen his face. Like, And I also have to flag up this whole mugshot thing because they mm. do a joke out of it in this movie because there's a bit where they're showing the mugshots of the escaped patients and you see the, the little penguin-looking dude who gets killed. But then... Yeah, who's the guy who gets killed? He does look like the penguin. He does look like the penguin. But as they then cut to Michael's mugshot, the camera pulls focus to somebody sitting in the yeah. foreground, so Michael's face is blurred out, which obviously is so a... So we don't see it. Which yeah. is a gag. And I'm like, so they made a conscious effort to do that bit, but then they completely missed the lapse of logic that people would know what Michael Myers looks like. Yeah, and that's the thing. When they kill the, the penguin-looking guy, or when he, he's, like, killed in the process yeah, of the, he, the mob chasing suicide, him. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all going like, oh, Tommy, that's not Michael. And Tommy literally says, we don't know, none of us know what his face looks like. It's like, motherfucker, they showed it on the evening news tonight. (laughs) You were there. (laughs) I also, like, that's the first thing they do. If you're trying to apply this level of reality to it, like, as soon as they put out a police, like, red alert thing, the first thing they would do is have his face on the news. It's so stupid. It's so fucking stupid. have you seen this man? Do not approach armed and dangerous. It's so And this dumb. is the thing, like, I don't want to be thinking in this amount of detail about the reality of this situation because it's supposed to be a dumb slasher movie. Or it's, well, you know, okay, you could try and do something more with it, obviously. I'm not suggesting, like, oh, it always has to stay in its lane and be a dumb slasher movie. But if you're going down that route where you're trying to apply this real-world logic to it, apply the real-world logic. And like, don't... I- yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tail this back to what we were talking about before we went on this whole little bit about the, the the fucking shitty bar scene and all this kind of shit because there's another point of contention that I have and it does bring us back to the flashback scene which I do want to quickly talk about because it's one of the oh best yes parts. okay sorry we're going to be confusing people who haven't seen this movie so let's just say um, 
this movie opens more or less opens with the the extended flashback. Effectively, yeah, because the actual opening of the scene is Allison's boyfriend walking home and finding the sheriff on the floor after the attack yeah. in the first movie. Um, because the, the flashback is because the sheriff, which we didn't mention when we talked about uh, Halloween 28 Green, um, he was one of the first responders there that night who actually helped apprehend Michael. So we see the yes. flashback to him as part of that. And uh, the reason why I want to... And see, go- we see ghost CGI Loomis. It's not, it's not a CGI Loomis, it's an actor in prosthesis. That's worse somehow. It's an actor in prosthesis lip syncing a sound alike. That's what it is. Okay. If all I'm saying is I I'm mean, not gonna get into this whole You say thing. a sound you say a sound alike, mm. but um yeah. I don't, I don't sound yeah. like no Donald Pleasance yeah. to me, my friend. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, I've seen a but... hundred of these films, Mark. I know what fucking Donald Pleasance sounds like. <laughs> I'm, I'm that, give sir, the... was I not Donald Pleasance. The... I want to give the actor who's portraying him credit, though, because uh, it's. It... I noticed it this time around, but like in the big wide shot at the end of the flashback, that dude has got Donald Pleasance like walking gate down like he moves just like donald pleasance does it's yeah, quite great amazing. but we didn't need it it's pointless no, we didn't need it, it's just like, it's just there to make the cinema audience go alongside yeah there's like clap like, like the idiotic seals they are Mark. because there's another bit in that flashback where they go to the myers house and there's the dead dog on the floor which obviously relates yeah. to the conversation in the original movie yeah yeah fine um but no the before i praised the flashback for some elements uh the two things that i want to fucking shit on it for one Myers, Michael Myers has no bullet wounds or blood on him from being shot by Loomis, and that bugs the ever-loving fuck out of me. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, I agree. Because like, like, if you're gonna go, to, if you're gonna go to that level of detail to like reuse footage from the original for this flashback to splice in new stuff, at least put the bullet wounds in. Like, yeah, it's weird doing? he doesn't have them. It's so weird. And the other thing as well, we were talking about how like Lonnie is a character in this movie, and like. That he's included in that flashback because they're there, like, oh, he encountered Michael as well, and like, yeah, and Michael didn't kill him, yeah. But ultimately, they don't fucking need to do that. Lonnie encounters Michael in the original movie anyway. Yeah, yeah. At the yeah. school, he runs away, yeah. and Michael grabs him. Like, he yeah, already right. saw him. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's what I mean. It's like that half-assed thing where it's like they're trying to be so reverent to the original, but also just like missing these details. And to be honest, I, I know you're going to have some things to say about the, the the flashback sequence, the very long flashback sequence. It goes on a, a while, yeah. But I, I, think I, I honestly good... think this movie's stronger without it. Like, if you just cut that away. Because the other thing is, we're talking about applying reality to a ridiculous movie. Michael Myers is apprehended by the police? Is he well, now? He's, well, he's apprehended he by now? a fuckload of police. Sure. That's but I've seen that original movie recently. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he fucked off. He got the fuck well, out of Dodge. Well, that's what they say in the flashback, isn't it? He goes back to the Myers house, and that's where they catch him. Stupid. I mean, Stupid. Yeah, I've, the thing is, though, I feel like, considering in the first movie, they showed that he's in the is in the insane asylum again, they had to at least explain how he got caught. I don't think they did. They I don't think they did. But, I think they, they could have just they... said... I think showing it is the problem. I think if they just said, 30 cops turned up and we managed to get him into the back of a van, fine. And they even recreate that shot from the original where Michael's stood outside the house, which I, I yeah. admittedly, like, I call me a basement dweller, I like that shot. You I are think a fucking basement cool. dweller. Uh, but, um, a basement dweller, fuck you. <laughs> um, no, I like, I, I think the flashback is fine. 
Um, they do a good job of like emulating the style of the original movie and that I think like the so, like and that's what bugs me about the attention to detail stuff. Anyway, uh, we could probably wrap up on Halloween Kill soon because we'll be here all fucking night. I mean, we've been all over the gaff with with this movie. Um, but this but movie okay. is all over the fucking gaff. I think something um, that we should cover. Okay, because we're kind of running all around the place plot wise. We've actually if look. I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out Jack Gamble. He tells me that when we cover movies he's not seen, he can't follow it because we go all over the map. Let me tell you something, Jack, because I know for a fact you've not seen this movie. We've covered the entire plot of the movie. There yeah, is we literally have. this is almost two hours of just fucking nothing happening. The most significant event is that Judy Greer gets iced at the end of the movie, and that's at the um, very end. <laughs> yeah, and then that turns out to be not that significant because they basically don't mention it in the next movie. No, um, but. Uh, I did check out as part of my research for this because I know that <laughs> there's an extended cut of Halloween Kills that exists. Why? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the main bits of it that I saw that um, stood out to me is that uh, Judy Graf's uh, Judy Graf, Judy Grizz death scene is actually longer in um, the extended version because it has a slightly different ending. Um, the difference is, and they changed it because of obviously what we'll then talk about what happens in Halloween ends. But the original ending to the movie is like the actual like stabbing of Judy Greer goes on a lot longer. It's like it's almost kind of like edited like Psycho a bit more. Like it's very like the shower scene, okay. and it's a lot more vicious, I'd say, in the extended version. Okay. Um, but the but the extended version ends where after she's killed, um, Laurie calls her phone, and. Michael picks the phone up and breathes down the line at Laurie. Right. To which Laurie's like, I'm coming for you, Michael, and puts the phone down, and then she grabs the knife and walks out of the hospital. And that was the original ending. Right. Well, because I assume they cut that because that implies that the sequel's going to happen immediately after the events of this one. Which apparently was the original intention. Yeah, well, that would make all three- more sense. We'll get into that yeah, when we get to sense. Halloween ends. But um, yeah, one more thing I wanted to say about this movie is. Um, so we've kind of touched on this idea of like it's about mass hysteria, right? Like that's a big theme of the movie, um, mm-hmm. and how like a mob mentality never never sorts anything out. But I just think like the point that it's trying to make is so muddied by all this plot that doesn't really hang together, and this thing of like like we've said like they know what Michael looks like. Why are they killing the wrong guy? Like yeah, it's pointless. Uh, it's pointless because if they're trying to make a point about this whole like mob hysteria thing like ultimately what the movie says is that that doesn't achieve anything because obviously it doesn't stop Michael yeah which okay that's a fine all, point I guess but like yeah to say that you know violence begets more violence I suppose at a very basic level um but yeah the movie is so fucking undone by the fact that all this all the members of the mob get fucking murdered yeah in a really shit scene man like it's so badly shot yeah. it's I know it's supposed to take place on a street where they're surrounded by car headlights, but it looks like they just shot it in a fucking studio under a couple of like overheads yeah. or something. It looks so. I think bad. it's also a thing of editing. Like this, this like too choppily edited that sequence. Yeah, that's it. That scene where he murders the mob is crap yeah. because the bit where the mob are attacking him is quite well put together. I think. But also um, that that yeah, scene also kind of brings up another point that I have issues with this whole trilogy. Where the first movie makes a big point to kind of... And this is something it shares with the Rob Zombie Halloween. It makes a point to kind of demystify Michael Myers. Like, okay, it kind of hints that he's like 
got some evil in him because like there's the scene in the first one with the mask where all the crazies yeah. are going nuts and the dogs barking and everything but apart from that there's nothing really supernatural about him okay he takes uh, he takes some punishment as he always does that a normal man wouldn't be able to but beyond that and kind of like the the kind of obviously the implied like he's descending into hell imagery at the end when the house is burning down around him yeah there's not really anything or i didn't think there's supposed to be anything where you're like okay he's explicitly supernatural if anything they kind of portray him as like a knackered old bloke who's just driven by this need to kill which i think is a more interesting take and then this movie is like no 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 he's he's an evil ghost he lives in a man that's yeah that's the twist but but again what kind of twist is that because we've seen a hundred halloween movies that have gone back and forth on whether he's you know an evil ghost who lives in a man or whether he's just a guy and it's just and the the whole sequence okay we should say so there's that sequence that mark was talking about where like the mob finally catches up to michael they batter him they're stabbing him shooting him all the rest of it kicking him a bit um and obviously it's revealed that you can't keep a player down michael gets up and kills them all but not before laurie manages to have a monologue which is then played over the sequence of michael rising up and killing everyone where he's like well she's like it's evil you know and evil is powerful and the evil is strong and you cannot kill the evil because the evil never goes goodbye i'm laurie see you later and it's like and i'm wondering whether <laughs> i'm slightly not, paraphrasing that one that's this time. Just, <laughs> but i wonder like i'm watching it again this time because there's a scene previous where laurie's like we have to you know, we have to get up and go and she just grabs a giant like hypodermic needle full of painkillers and shoots herself up i'm like is that just her doped up like musings on michael yeah. myers is that what because there's also like she's like chirps in the um the uh, the copper as well who's also in the hospital the, the sheriff, sheriff yeah because yeah, it's implied that they had yeah. a thing and which obviously plays into the next right because i was confused about that point um, because i thought he was the copper from halloween 2 who she did have a thing with but no no he's a different guy and this is something we've talked about off mic this movie makes a lot more sense if you assume that halloween 2 happened <laughs> because yeah <laughs> because again it's like okay if halloween 2 happened it kind of makes sense that michael myers is like this force of evil because as you say, he like wrecked buildings. He was like massacring people left and right, and like it wasn't just a guy who got out and stabbed a few people. It was like he was a terrorist, basically. Um, yeah, like the town was because like you see in the original Halloween too, like you know, the the townsfolk go to the Myers house and start like bricking the windows yeah. in and stuff. Like you see like an element of hysteria yeah. in the original Halloween too, and also like, sense translated uh, over not to, to be that guy because I know this is my confusion about Laurie and the copper, but like. It kind of would make more sense if he was the guy from Halloween too. Like, if he was supposed to be, well, he was a, he a was paramedic. paramedic yeah, no, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, if he was that paramedic, yeah. from, like the relationship that they have in this movie and Halloween ends would make more sense if it was that paramedic character, and you know it. Like, yeah, like they're like Michael Myers has somehow brought them back yeah, together. Because That's as funny. it is, it's this cop character yeah. where it's sort of like, wait, who was he again? Like, he's, I know he's in the original, but like. No, he, well, he's in he's in twenty. Oh, he's in, oh, yeah, so he's not even in the original movie. See, that's the point that I was getting confused about. No, no, that's why I was so yeah. confused because I was yeah, being yeah. like, "Wait, is this just a character I forgot?" Because I remember Sheriff Brackett, and then he's in yeah, yeah, he's yeah. in this he's movie in this as well, movie and he's like, reason. "Oh my God, Michael Myers back! I gotta, I gotta." <laughs> he's like barely alive in this. <laughs> and yeah, he's up for some mob justice. The people of Haddonfield are like Springfield. They're always on the verge of a, a mob. It's, yes. I think if you view the movie yeah. that way, it's fine. Uh, but no, I think like... 
yeah, it's just this movie. It's got some stuff in it that I really enjoyed. I think as a like watching it, like it's an enjoyably bad movie. But when you actually start to really think about it, that's when it really falls apart. And this is a movie that doesn't. Yeah, need to exist. yeah, because like it doesn't advance the it plot has, at all. And um, we'll get in, we'll get into this with no, Halloween. If anything, it bombs yeah, we'll the get into down. Halloween ends. But like Halloween ends directly contradicts this movie in a few ways. Um. This is the last Jedi of the, yeah, kind of, <laughs> of the Halloween. Okay, because one point that I think let's underline this before we go into our ratings for this movie. So, this is something that the copper says. He's like, I've seen Michael Myers. What he does is he kills and then he goes home. He goes back to his house, and that like ties back to the yeah. extended flashback sequence where like the police apprehended him at the Myers place because supposedly in this continuity, at the end of his original Halloween murder rampage, he just chuffed off back to his house. Um, which yeah, is what he's doing in this movie yeah. that's why he kills Big John and Little John because they're in his gaff and he wants to be in his gaff and they have the line which is it's almost kind yeah. of a cool line where the sheriff's like oh what he did what all he did was he stared out of the window of his sister's bedroom and you could never tell whether he was staring out of the town or like staring into his own reflection that's kind of a nice line yeah. and it's like okay that's kind of an interesting it adds that element of like what is Michael's motivation like does he have any motivation how much is he aware of what he's doing? This is all, like, interesting stuff, which is immediately undermined by the fact you go, yeah, he's an evil goblin from hell. Like, that, that <laughs> kind of is like, okay, well, that kind of ruins it because there's no mystery then. It's just like, well, he's just evil. Like, he's just, you know, he's just evil for the hell of it. And to add a little more point onto that, we mentioned this bit at the end where Judy Greer's character, Karen, gets killed. So after the mob have seemingly killed Michael, she looks up at the Myers house and sees a quick vision of young Michael staring out yes. of the window. And then goes up and then starts staring out the window herself and then Michael appears behind her and kills her. And I'm like, so what the fuck is the implication of her going up there and Especially staring because, out of that window? Okay, if we were to count Halloween 2 as canon... They would be blood relatives. They would be, which would which is obviously what they did in Halloween yeah. before. We're saying that um, Jamie is like now the new Michael. Yeah, there's a there's that element, and it would almost be there. an element of like she's trying to understand Michael's perspective. Could be the implication. Yeah, which maybe is, but they don't. Yeah, do it's just so that she's it. there to get killed. That's that's what it is. And this movie definitely ends. Okay, we didn't have to say this. The scene with Laurie on the phone and being like right I'm going to take him out that's not in it anymore but this no that's the but that's this movie definitely the ends on the implication like yeah. Michael's at his most powerful he's returned home he's doing what he always does he's in the the Myers house he's in his lair it's all going to kick off next time and we'll get to how that's wrong when we cover Halloween ends um Mark <laughs> give us your rating good good I hate it shit shit I like it um, it's a very tempered shit, but I like it because I don't know what it is. As bad as this movie is, and as much as I despise so much of its script, I find it I find it an entertaining watch. Even though it's it's a bit of a slog in places, it doesn't need to be an hour forty five, not at all. Um but it's it's a yeah, it's a tempered shit, but I like it because it's a bad movie, but when it's when it's just being a, a down and dirty slasher movie, it's very, very enjoyable. And Michael is just an absolute powerhouse in this movie. I love the look of him. Um, it's it's got some very fucking funny deaths. It's got some incredibly grisly deaths in it. Um, it. It apes enough elements of Halloween two that 
are some of the things from Halloween 2 that I really like because I, I think I said it when we talked about the original Halloween 2 that like one of my favourite aspects of that movie is like not just the stuff with Michael in the hospital I like those snippets you're seeing of how the town is reacting mm. to what Michael does and you're seeing just like the aftermath of the crimes and I was like I really I think like at points they do mm. that well but most of the time they don't um, it's a shit but I like it what do you think? I think it's shit let's do Halloween ends <laughs> So, at the end of Halloween Kills, then, like you said, Aiden, you would assume that Michael is now full power, ready to go, and Laurie's going to have this big showdown with him, and it's going to be this huge, bloody affair, and it's going to be amazing. It's not really quite what happens in Halloween Ends, is it? I mean, there is a showdown, no. and it's very bloody, but it's not quite what happens. No, I mean, what is the opening scene of Halloween Ends, Mark? So, right, um... With this one, I'm actually going to move through the plot in a more linear fashion, because we talked all yeah. over the shop on Halloween Kills, and I do apologise to anybody that hasn't seen Halloween Kills, which is not a sentence I ever thought I would say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, you're living your best life. You are. I mean, if you want, like, if you've got some mates around, you got some beers, you got some... Uh, so, some vegetation on the table. You know what I'm talking about. You if you've got some, if you've got some friends around and you don't want them to be friends anymore, make them watch <laughs> Halloween Kills. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, so the opening scene of Halloween ends. Uh, we see a young lad called Corey Cunningham. Who is he, you might ask? And that's a question you'll still be asking at the end of this movie. <laughs> Very true. So Corey Cunningham is on his way to uh, babysit for the evening. It's Halloween night, and this is we find out this is a year after the events of Halloween Kills. And so he's looking after this young boy who is the mother of the young boy tells Corey before they leave that ever since the events of Halloween Kills, um, their son has been having nightmares and he's been like obsessed with the whole Michael Myers thing and like he wets the bed and stuff. So they're just trying to prepare Corey for what might happen this evening. Yeah, understandably, because a year ago, as per this flashback, Michael Myers killed like 20 to 30 people and then just... Was never caught. Just just disappeared. Just full on Just fucking poof, disappeared. Just, just disappeared. Despite the fact that that mob that he killed, the police were the next street over. <laughs> they were very <Yeah>. nearby. <laughs> How they didn't hear this, I don't know. But anyway, we're not talking about that movie anymore. So Put it Cor in the bin. Evil evil has died. <laughs> Supposedly. So, Corey's babysitting this kid, and um, originally the plan was like, okay, you play with him for a little bit, and then he goes to bed. He shows him the thing, which is a nice little nod to Mr. John Carpenter. Uh, mm. And then, Corey basically says to the kid, right, it's time to go to bed, and the kid starts fucking around and playing games with him. So, the kid goes upstairs, and we hear him screaming, and he notices that the back door is open. So, like, instantly, your head's like, Michael Myers. Michael is in this house. This kid. Yeah, well, right. this is this is a Halloween film, so yeah. th that's sort of what I would think. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, okay, Michael's in the house. The kid has been vindicated in his like obsessive um, like fear of Michael. Um, Corey goes up into the attic, following the kid's cries. He is then locked in the attic by the kid who's just playing a joke, being like, "Ah, oh, Michael Myers is gonna get you." <laughs> and then Corey starts freaking the fuck out. Starts kicking the door to the attic which has this little kid on the other side of it just as the parents come home and walk through the door Corey kicks this door with such force that the kid flies over the banister drops this house is massive mate I point out it's like four stories and oh, by the way this this 
this staircase they've got is not childproof. No, it is. It's gothic as fuck. <laughs> like, mm. like you know, this is the sort of staircase that you'd find out your husband has been killed at war, and you'd like dramatically fall down. You know, what yeah, I mean? it's that kind. It's of an absurdly large house. Yeah, like I didn't think people in Haddonfield were that rich, but here we are. Um, so yeah, as the parents walk through the door, poor little kid is flung over the balcony and plummets to an incredibly graphic death which may I point out saw this in the cinema when it came out as well and the gasps that erupted around me were phenomenal see I've seen this movie twice I um didn't gasp so much as piss myself laughing at the absurdity it's very funny it's very funny because okay I know what they're going for it's supposed to be shocking it's like a child death oh my god but he, it's the fact that he plummets down this gothic staircase <laughs> and basically goes splat. And it's like, oh dear, that's... I mean, we'll get into it, but like that, I feel like it, it's should, have been a, it should have been an understated death. Or, it's it's, or actually, to compare it to another movie that does something similar, I think you know where I'm going with this, um, the decapitation scene in Hereditary. Yeah. Where the little girl yeah. sticks her head out of the car, uh, the car window. <laughs> And it goes, gets hit by like a sign or something or a tree. It's a and telephone it's pole. Telephone yeah. pole, yeah. And her head just goes, comes off. But the way that shot is like, it is genuinely shocking. And then you sit with her brother who's like, realised what's happened and just has to drive home like in stunned silence. Like, I mean, that also Hereditary has more actual black comedy in it, so it kind of can get away with yeah, that. Kind of thing, yeah, there's there's like that underlying sense of humor. Whereas Halloween Ends doesn't really have that. Halloween Ends is a very different. I mean, we say it's a very different beast of the previous two movies. The previous two movies are quite different to one another, but this one is especially different. Mm. Um, so yeah, kid goes splat, boom, opening title, deceased. Um, yeah, what do you think of this opening scene? Um, well, they use the font from Halloween 3, and that's supposed to get me hyped. They do, which is, yeah, which is a choice. And I feel like it's a very conscious choice in trying to say this was this is going to be different, that this is going to be something else. Mark, I um, think you're giving them too much credit at this point. I, I think, think I am, but I want to think I'm I right. think the entire thought process was, this is the third movie. And in the original Halloween 3, they had this memorable kind of blue italic font. Let's use that because this is how Halloween three again. It's the third I would Halloween like to think again. it is a distinction. At least that's if that would be my thought process. You know, um, maybe I'm defending it because I don't hate Halloween ends, and we will talk about that. I mean, look, I'm going to just um, throw. That, look, I'm not going to try. I'm kind of trying not to derail the plot summary too much. But my thoughts on David Gordon Green's intentionality are informed by reading several interviews with him, where he talks about stuff that he's put in these movies. And an example of this, so we mentioned this in Halloween Green Twenty Eight Green. There's the long take sequence where Michael's rampaging around. He goes into the house and there's a notable bit where he sees a baby in a crib, goes over, looks at it, doesn't kill it, walks off. Now, I read an interview with David Gordon Green where he basically was like, the reason we put that in is we needed something to fill 15 seconds. <laughs> and then he <laughs> okay, kind of, And then he goes on to be like, and it'll probably come back to haunt me, but like we just thought it was kind of cool and interesting if there was a baby in the crib. And we needed it to do something, so there you go. That's why it's in the sequence. And it's like, okay, so that's that's quite um, deflating to know because um, obviously we didn't mention it when we talked about that that film. But um, I again, when I saw that one in the cinema, 
when Michael walks towards that baby, you heard people, you know, yeah. go like, is he going to do it? And obviously he didn't. And then like, there's this kind of nice little relief and everyone was like sort of giggling a little bit about it. And um, it's a shame to know that that moment that produced such a great cinema moment was just a fucking afterthought. Yeah. Um, Which I think sums up these enough. movies. So I think it sums right. up these movies. I don't think there's that much thought yeah. going into them. I think it's just, I mean... This is what I was saying about the reverence and the kind of like lack of attention to detail kind of coexisting together where it's like, yeah, they'll have every member of Haddonfield that was ever in the original movie have several generations of family, but then those characters just don't actually add up to anything. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't think they're trying to signal at you with the title sequence that this is going to be, oh, it's a bit like Halloween Season of the Witch. It's a departure. Because also, this movie isn't a departure. It still comes back to Michael Myers in the end. And it does. And then one thing that I do want to point out about this is if you see during those opening credits, it says, and uh, this is obviously um, the guys at Red Letter Media very famously did, did a positive review of this movie. This is something that they did point out was that this one is credited with four writers. Mm. There's Danny McBride, David Gordon, and two other dudes who have no idea who they are. And clearly they're the ones that are responsible for this movie actually having a plot, I suppose, because this movie does have a plot. Compared to the other and two, speaking, like it has an actual story. Speaking of the plot, Mark, so we've seen a little boy fall down a ridiculously large staircase um, due to the accidental mishandling of him by his babysitter. Uh, is he Cody or Corey? Corey. Corey. Corey Cunningham is his name. Um, he's related to Beth Cunningham, friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> who has also killed babies. Um, well, she did on purpose. Um... Disclaimer: That's not true. In case the feds are listening, <laughs> we have to we have to make a point of that not being. True. If the feds are listening, that's not true. Um. Anyway, enough of the feds. What's the next scene in this movie, Mark? Talk us through it. Tell the tale. Uh, right. So I'm not going to go through the movie literally beat by beat, but essentially, um, we. No, I want you to. I want you to because I want the audience to understand how stupid this film is. So we then have uh, a monologue from Laurie, who is basically doing her best cosplay of Carrie from Sex and the City. It is very right, Sex and the City, this, isn't it? It's very Sex and the City, isn't it? Well, I remember there was a meme that came out when this movie uh, was released, which is obviously the picture of Jamie Lee Curtis uh, typing at the at the, the computer, being like, I had to wonder, would Halloween end, or would it end me? I mean, she might as well have done <laughs> Um, yeah, so she does this monologue about how, like, Michael disappeared after the events of Kills, but, like, the evil that pertains to him has lingered in the town, and it's, like... So, would you say the, the evil did not die tonight? The evil did not die tonight, okay. despite how much those people wanted it to. Okay, interesting, interesting, um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, we have this, like, little montage where you see, like... Um, people have like killed themselves one of whom is the mother of not jonah hill from the first movie right okay that yeah again it's it's not things are it's not explicitly dwelled on but if you look at it a it's, it is that same actress because she appears in kills and b weirdly she's wearing the cape that her son was wearing that night when he died i don't know why or how she got that but that's a thing um why not? Um, yeah, so she goes on this whole rant about like how Michael's evil infected the town, but she has chosen to not allow fear to rule her life anymore, despite the fact that she doesn't know that Michael is like around anymore. Yeah, because um, well, okay, because we should no, we like, should Laurie's... say we're picking up with um, Laurie in twenty twenty two, right? 
Yeah, so like this is a different kind of yeah. Laurie. Like she's, you know, well she's done her hair. For but also, it's like several years after <laughs> yeah. Michael has disappeared. Yeah, it's, it, which is obviously accounted for, obviously by the fact that we had COVID and obviously it delayed filming. And there's some speculation from some parts of the fandom that uh, this was not the film that they were going to originally make. Hence that ending. Yeah, I mean, it, like it was going to be something uh, very different. I don't think they were going to make anything that was better than this. But, um... No, but from the, the the general consensus is this was not the movie that they were. No, because they were they were one hundred percent setting up like a Laurie versus Michael movie, which is not what this which is. This, it turns into that for about five five <laughs> at minutes the end. at the end. Yeah, you get as yeah. a treat, you get a little uh, bit of a Halloween movie at the end. <laughs> yeah. Right, so let's go through the plot. So essentially, yeah, so Laurie's trying to move on with her life. Alison, her granddaughter, she is now working as a nurse at like a local clinic and she's trying to get a promotion, but she's got this bitch co-worker that's fucking an older doctor and that's a whole little subplot. Yet another um, subplot we did not But then we, we see Corey. Need. We didn't need it. it just It's just fodder. Oh, and for if you're wondering kid. if Alison is particularly moved by the fact that her mother and father were brutally murdered on the same night by the same man, um, doesn't come up. No, 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 not at all. You think Laurie would be more distressed by losing a daughter? No, it doesn't come up. Well, it, it sort of comes up. She yeah, they just go, remember when Judy Greer was in this? Anyway, bye. Like, they have the scene where Laurie gives Alison a necklace which has got both of her parents' wedding yeah. rings on it. Like, that's as far as that But it's goes. literally, it's not there to develop um, the characters. It's just there to be like, no. remember, these characters died. Yeah. Because uh, this is not... This is not the Laurie Strode movie. This is Corey Goes Bananas. Yeah, they should have called it Corey Goes Bananas. They should have. So, let me breathe Featuring Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah, so essentially, after killing that boy, which I can't say without laughing, because it just makes me think of the mighty bush. (laughs) Do animals not go to heaven? Yeah, but you killed that boy. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh god! So this movie would have been anyway, improved um, by Dave Brown playing Balo in it. If Corey was played by Balo from the Mighty Boosh, this would be a fantastic movie. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> then it could be called Balo Goes Bananas. So yeah, essentially, what's happened is that after the, after killing that boy, uh, Corey's obviously been like shunned by the town. He was found like. I suppose it was like what's it? They, call, they they say what he was like charged with, but like he's not gone to prison or anything. Like aggravated manslaughter, I think they called it. Um, and so yeah, Corey's been a bit of an outcast. He's getting bullied by the kids in the band because that's how low down on the fucking food chain this yeah. guy is. Like you know, the kids in the high school in the band are bullying him. And uh, it's worth pointing out for some reason Haddonfield now becomes Maine. It becomes it, it's from a Stephen King story. This is a very Stephen King kind of movie. I think it's taking yeah. Because re- remember how John Carpenter made Christine. Yeah, I do remember that. And this movie remembers that. Hmm. Mm. Not gonna lie, I kind of mm. like that little flavor to it, though. I think I, I like that this is something a bit. Different. I don't. I think it's stupid. I know you do, Karen. and we're gonna conflict on this one. <laughs> I think anyway. Uh, so yeah, Corey's a bit of an outcast. Gets bullied by the local kids um, whilst he's holding like a glass bottle of chocolate milk, which he ends up smashing and cuts his hand. Laurie intervenes, um, and when the kids decide to fuck off, she pulls out a switchblade and she's like, "Do you want to burst their tires or shall I?" Because even though Laurie's trying to turn over this new leaf and be a positive person, she's still a bad bitch, and we respect a bad bitch on this podcast. Um, so Laurie, seeing uh, an opportunity here takes Corey to the hospital for Alison to patch his hand up. She's like, let's do a little meet cute between the two of them. 
Alison and Corey hit it off. They seem to be having a nice little romance. Uh, Corey's concerned about the fact that, you know, obviously he's known as being a child killer. Alison, having survived the Michael Myers attacks, is like, well, I understand what it's like to be looked different and yada, 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 yada. Um, oh, and you may you may remember how Laurie was like, terminally paranoid that Michael Myers would come back and harm her family. And then Michael Myers did come back and harm her family. That happened and then disappeared without being apprehended or killed. Just disappeared. And then her granddaughter is chirping onto a known boy killer. And she's like, seems fine. I mean, I feel like the two are not entirely the same, but okay, I see your point. <laughs> I think there's a lot of, like, you have to squint at this movie to make it work. I, I, yeah, I have to admit, as much as I... Don't get me wrong, this is not a perfect movie. This is not a particularly great movie by any means. But, like, I re This was the second time I watched it for this, for this podcast. And I was sitting there, I got about an hour in and went, I don't hate this. I don't hate this. Like, it's got problems. But I think comparing it to Halloween Kills, it's a much better movie, I think. Mm, debatable. Mm, but well, continue with your plot summary. Yeah. Uh, so then, um, Alison and Corey have a really nice time together, dancing to the Dead Kennedys. You know, fair play. Uh, as, as one does. As one does. Um, in what I have to describe as a ridiculous sequence, because mm-hmm. when they're dancing in that bar, I don't know what's going on. They're having it's seizures. Yeah, he's like rolling around on the floor, like, and it's like really weirdly edited. Like, it's it's, it's edited it's like bizarre. one of the Rob Zombie movies, weirdly. Yeah, except I don't I don't even know what's supposed to be going on here because if you saw somebody acting like that in a bar where he's like sliding down the pool table and he's like rolling around on the floor as if he's having a seizure and shit, you'd be like, the hell is wrong with this person? This is killer or not? Like weirder things have happened. Eh? <laughs> just Evil very, dies tonight, Aid. <laughs> Very weird. And what's even weirder about that sequence is the mum of the boy he killed just hanging out at the bar. It's Haddonfield, baby. They all just hang out in bars. That's how Halloween Kills happened. <laughs> and she's there like, oh, you're having a good time, you fucking boy-killing bastard. Which obviously then sends him into a bit of a spiral. He's then walking home, gets attacked by the bank kids who dump him over the side of a bridge and he ends up next to a sewer, which he's then dragged into. Gets dragged into the sewer. I wonder who's living in the sewer. I wonder. Even though he's got a house. <laughs> a house. The man has a house. Yeah, but that house, you know, clearly Michael doesn't like what the gays did to his house, okay? He's got a problem with it. Interior design, yeah. Yeah, but he was just like, what the fuck is this? Um, he's like, give me a grungy ass, nasty ass sewer. I should point out, though, we should point out, we do see that he's hanging out with a homeless guy who hangs out by the sewer, yeah. which is not the first time Michael Myers has done this. No, because in five. Yeah, in Revenge of the Mac, he was hanging out with some homeless dude. Yeah, there was a, a hermit who nurses him back to health, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then he kills him for lots. Yeah, he does kill him. So, essentially, yeah, so Corey ends up, wakes up in the sewer, he's looking around, he then gets grabbed for a crack in the wall by Michael, who strangles him, but then like, they have this moment where their eyes meet, and Corey effectively like takes, takes on yeah, Michael. Yeah, it's, it's so fucking stupid. He stares into Michael's eyes through the mask. And you get like f- little flashes of all the shit that Michael's done since the first Halloween and the David Gordon Green movies as well. Like it just flashes through all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, you're evil now, Corey. And yeah, like, and so Corey right. then kills the homeless dude hanging outside the sewer. Um, yeah. And then basically, Alison and Corey's relationship continues to develop. Which I have to say is a thick move because Michael hasn't killed this guy. 
Michael's just no. chilling. And the homeless guy knows he's there because there's a point where he says to Corey, he's like, oh, you want to get away from the sewer? You know what's lurking around in there? So it's like, what's been going on in the years since Michael left his house? He's been having barbecues with some tramp. But that homeless dude knows it's Michael Myers and wants the mask. That's a part of their conversation. Like, Yeah, which is it's, also it's, it's, weird. A, it's a bit muddled. It's a bit muddled. Anyway, it's fine. We'll move on. We'll move on. We'll move on. Makes zero um, sense. So I kind of just like the idea that Michael Myers just has a little buddy that he hangs out with. He brings him food. Like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brings yeah, him so dogs Cor- to eat. <laughs> so Cora and Allison's relationship develops and Laurie like, sees Cora and she's like, no, 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 no. Something's not right with this guy. This could be the new Michael. And so the way the plot Even though is, uh, a mere few scenes ago, she was setting them up. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's a thing. Don't get me wrong, I like this movie. It's not good. I'm not trying to convince you it's good. One thing you've glossed over is she meets the cop... Who she's? Oh, they have a little grocery store. Yeah, in the in the grocery store, and she says like, "Oh, Allison's been hanging out with Corey," and the cops like, "Yeah, that kid had a raw deal, man. He's a good boy, really. He just he just had a shocker." Which like, I mean, we'll get into it, but it's one of these things where it's like, I'm baffled by the decisions this movie makes. It makes some decisions. I just I like the vibe of this movie, and I like kind of what it's going for. But anyway, um, so. Corey then starts to, like a weird pact with Michael where he brings Michael victims and as Michael murders people Michael seems to like be his strength seems to be restoring which is obviously in direct contrast to Halloween Kills where he was supposed to be all powerful at the end but whatever we'll move past it uh, he I don't think a, we should a, move past it what the hell is going on in this movie because like if Halloween <laughs> Kills didn't exist and this was a direct sequel to Halloween 28 Green it would kind of make sense to some degree because you'd be like Oh, well, Michael's just, like, barely survived the house fire. And that's why he's, like, run to the sewers. He's just, like, hiding out. He's, like, you know, half dead, basically. And that would even make more sense of the homeless guy being, like, I want his mask. Because he could be, like, well, he's waiting around for him to die. Because he's seen that, like, Michael's not really a threat anymore. He's just this, like, slowly dying And it would also make sense that Laurie has effectively, like, moved on. Yeah, because as far as she knows, he'd be dead in that situation. Yeah, so, yeah, basically, what we're saying is Halloween Kills shouldn't exist, and we're both in agreement on that. Yes. And I'm just going to tie my liking of this movie. I will go so far as to say Halloween Kills existing makes this movie worse. It it does, because it it completely makes the plot of this movie not make any fucking sense. Um, But, yeah, the long and short of it is... um, Corey and Michael start murdering people together. Michael is seemingly getting more restored to strength whilst Corey is going further and further into like this sort of new Michael persona. And now, you may be wondering why, and you'll be continue to wonder that when the credits roll. Well, the idea, I suppose, at the Simple Core is Corey is somebody who has been shunned by this town and has, you know, experienced... Mm. Um, essentially, yeah, he's like a vessel for... But here's what here's something. Here's, here's, no, no. Here's the thing about that though. Just move. <laughs> Is this like the whole Midsummer Murders thing? <laughs> no, but I think it's particularly egregious in this movie because throughout the film, him and Alison are hanging out, and they're both saying like, "We just want to get out of Haddonfield. We don't want to live here anymore. It's a shit town. People here are shit." My thing is this: if you accidentally kill a boy, and everyone knows that you've done that. And not only that, they treat you like you deliberately killed that boy. Move. Move a town yeah, they over. They also have the whole aspect in which, like, Corey's mum, like, Corey's mum is a whole thing in this movie. Oh, as well, God. Like. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. 
but, borderline incestuous, obsessive Jewish mother that she is. And we'll get there because there's a scene that I find fucking amazing with Corey's parents that really makes me laugh. But, um, is that where she kisses him? Yeah, it's where she slaps him, <laughs> kisses him, and then it cuts to his previously unseen father. By unseen, I mean unseen in the film. Who is who is like previously unseen in the time? Just cuts to him drinking a beer, smoking a fag, and just watching this happen. And then the dad just kind of leans in and goes, "I hope you find love." I'm like, <laughs> "Sorry, this scene made it into the movie." I feel like that shouldn't. I feel like maybe we could have had a redraft there. <laughs> It's great, what you're talking about. I mean, it's um, funny. Anyway, get, where were we? So we've got to the point where... Yeah. So Michael, we see that yeah, Corey's... Michael and Corey yeah. start murdering people. Michael's seemingly being restored to strength. We see very briefly that Michael then like sees Laurie and is like, well, that bitch gonna get stabbed. Mm. Um, Corey um, basically says to Alison, we should leave town, but like, you know, I always, like, I always want to burn this fucker down. Um, yes. So my, he takes Michael's mask... Because he's like the guy from... Because he's like the guy from Christine, that's the whole thing. Yes, yeah, literally it's like the guy from Christine. So he takes Michael's mask in a scene that I find particularly egregious where he wrestles Michael for his mask. And I understand oh. Michael's supposed to be weakened, but I fucking it's, hate it's that It's embarrassing. Because it, it all takes place in like a, a wide shot, so you just see how awkward it is. And it's yeah, like, it's, 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 it's a terrible, And again, terrible this scene. is the problem with these scene. movies. Is, like, is it supposed to be a bit funny? Is it supposed to be like... I don't know what I'm supposed to take. Because previously, when because we should say... Michael and Corey kill her nurse colleague, right? And her and, and the, the doctor, doctor she's yeah. dating. And again, very long scene of those two just chatting. And and it's but the thing is like that whole scene, like it's supposed to be this dramatic thing of oh yeah, he's killing these people who he thinks have wronged Alison. But it plays out like something out of Satan's little helper. Like Oh great. Because he's great cracking reference, but but again, that's a comedy. This film not so much. Um, there is a little moment actually that I only noticed this time when I watched it, where the the nurse is going around the house and she goes outside mm. where the doctor is being murdered. But like I didn't notice when I first saw it, but like in the darkness you can actually see him being yeah, murdered yeah. by Corey. I didn't realize that the first time I watched it. Uh, which um, I he's running around time. with his little scarecrow mask on, which he has. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the, basically the way the movie kind of culminates, and this is where the movie loses me personally in terms of the writing, this is where the writing gets truly bad, in my opinion. Um, so Corey uh, takes Michael's mask, kills all of the, the band kids that were bullying him by luring them to the um, like mechanics yard that he works at. Mm. And he murders the fuck out of all of them. Then we cut to a bit where um, Allison and Laurie have had a massive bust up because Laurie's like, you can't trust Corey, he's evil and all this kind of stuff. And Allison's like, well, fuck you, I'm going with Corey anyway because I love him. I'm going to run away with him, yada, yada, yada. Laurie's then sitting in her study and pulls a gun out and then calls the police to say she wants to report a suicide. Yeah. We then get this fake out where we see somebody coming up the stairs and we hear a gunshot and some gore hit a wall. The door then opens and Laurie's then standing there with a gun and goes, you think I'd actually kill myself and shoots Corey. Sorry. As much as I enjoy this movie and I enjoy it with a caveat knowing it's not good, I like the vibes, I like what it's going for, this scene does not work. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think we've glossed over another key Laurie scene though where um, 
So we kind of mentioned uh, the weird relationship Corey has with his mum. Because this... Mm. So so we're winding back a little bit. Um, Laurie goes to... Oh, I know what yeah. yeah, we do have to actually have to talk Laurie about Laurie goes yeah. to um, uh, Corey's mum and is like, I don't want him hanging out with Alison, blah, blah, blah. Corey goes home and Corey's mum is like, You're, she's trying to take... She, Alison's trying to take you away from me. You're my little boy, blah, blah, blah. You smell like her. And then it gets real weird because she slaps him. And then kisses him square on the lips, and then just kind of flounces from the room. And that's the bit where Corey's dad's like, "I'd be fine, love," um, which is <laughs> very weird scene. But um, okay, but then because of that, because basically his mum kicks him out of the house, he goes to stay at the house where the boy died, which I guess is an empty house at this point in the story. Yeah, it's like an abandoned house. I don't now, yeah. really know what's going on there, but yeah, it's it's, a, it's like that, that's again that's very Stephen King, isn't it? Yeah, like, and it's... anyway, so he's like sleeping on a sleeping bag there, and he wakes up, and Laurie's watching him from a, a rocking chair, and there's a frankly embarrassing dialogue scene where Jamie Lee Curtis is like, "Ah, there's two kinds of evil. There's the evil from outside that threatens the tribe, and there's the evil from inside. Do we know we're evil?" And the evil that's inside is like a toxin, and maybe you know you're evil, maybe you don't. And it's like, okay. Remember that John Carpenter directed the thing. And it's like, uh, you know, it's just like, I get it. Get on with this movie. There's... There's, there's a there's a lot of people that seem to interpret that that scene Laurie's not even there. That's like a conversation that Corey's having with himself. Might as well be. It could be like it's again like I I, I I know I can't defend it. I just I like the vibe. I just I mean I don't I don't think it is supposed um, to be that because she's then like I want to get you help and it's like why would he be fantasizing herself? Yeah. But then you she does disappear in that scene as well. So it's like yeah, which is what implies that she might have not been there the whole time. And kind of thing. who even knows? Um, who even knows? Yeah. Who but the long this is a mess. The long and short of it is, as you say. Corey decides, gotta kill Laurie Strode. She's cut blocking me. She's gotta go. What happens with the boy's parents? Because we do meet the the dad, and he's like, I thought it's the uncle. Well, we meet the dad, but the uncle is the guy that employs him at the junkyard who gets killed accidentally by yeah, one no, of that's the fine. kids. But the dad has that speech where he's like, I wanted to prove my wife wrong, and like he's, he's I saw him in the street, and I was going to talk to him, and like you know. Yeah. Oh, you mean the boy that da- uh, yeah. the kid that died? Yeah, yeah. So he gets a scene where yeah, he says that he saw something change in Corey, which kind of like vindicates Laurie. Yeah, it's just a very odd scene that didn't need to be in it. Again, another. Yeah, it's it's kind of shoehorned in yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it kind of adds to the overall kind of like mythos of what's yeah. happening. I suppose. It adds to the big um, old shit. But yeah, so we. This movie is. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so we go back to that final bit where uh, yeah, so Laurie shoots Corey after. Mate, we've we've, we've even suicide. glossed over the fact that he goes to a radio DJ at one point and kills him. Only because the radio DJ slighted him. That's and again, this is a, yet another David Gordon Green black character who speaks like something out of Dolomite, and you're like. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it does lead to the yeah. bit where the DJ gets his tongue cut off and it lands on the record, and then the record's skipping because the great. tongue keeps bumping into the needle. And again, 
<laughs> this is another great, great example of like, okay, so I'm supposed to find that death kind of funny, but I'm also supposed to be taking this movie as like a oh, deep meditation on the nature of evil. And it's like, what am I looking at? What is this film? Like, yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. I totally get where you're coming from. Um, but no, let's just let's just breeze through the last part. Of the okay, movie, let, let me just tell, let me. Anyway. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, take over. Corey goes to the house to kill Laurie. Laurie pretends to commit suicide. I'm not entirely sure where the fake gore came from, but we'll, we'll keep moving. It's a pumpkin. I was a pumpkin, of course. Yes. <laughs> no, we know. But um, well, no, because there's pumpkins in the room, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, but also, of course, it's a pumpkin because it's fucking yeah. a Halloween movie, right? Yeah. But um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so she fakes suicide for no reason at all, and Corey turns up. Well, Corey's already there, so he sees that she's not killed herself. She fucking shoots Corey. And he pretty much just dies, right? I know he's like lying on the floor and then Michael finishes him off later, right? Um, well, he stabs himself in the throat um, because she's like, I would never let Alison be with you. And he basically, ha- Alison shows up at the house and he stabs right, himself yeah, in the yeah, throat. Yeah, okay. and again, this is t- again, this is terrible writing because Laurie takes the knife from his throat as Alison walks in. I'm like, terrible writing. Terrible, terrible writing. Are you implying that that might because be a it- little bit contrived? It's more just a case of like that only exists so Alison can not believe Laurie and be like, "You killed my boyfriend," even though those two just had an actual conversation. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and also be that state of affairs where she doesn't believe Laurie lasts for about half a minute. Like it's, it's yeah, it's, honestly, does it? This is the thing. Like, I kind of like what this movie is doing with like this new character becoming like a new vessel of evil, and it impl- obviously there's been implications throughout the previous two movies about like what has caused Michael to be evil. It could be the town, and like this, it's all stuff that's never really fully acted on. But then this ending is like they go, well, we have to have Michael and Laurie fight. Yeah, and they do. Um, Michael, Michael and- turns up. I believe he kind of polishes Corey off, right? Like he kills yeah. him. Yeah. So Corey is still alive, and Somehow. Michael finishes him off. Yeah, and then and then Laurie knows that Michael's in the house. Like she hears him. She knows he's there. And then they have, like, a very brutal scrap. Like, I remember seeing this for the first time being like, fucking hell, like, for a movie that has, like, a, a, a woman over 60 as its lead character, they beat the living fuck out of Jamie Lee Curtis in yeah, this movie. Yeah, and they're stabbing each other up with various household items. It, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, I mean, not gonna lie, like, taken out of context, that's a great bit. Yeah, it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's just it's really okay, silly. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, obviously, she slits his throat, but then he's still going, and then Alison comes in and is like, Oh, I believe you now. I'm going to help you kill Michael. So they stab him up a bit more. And um, does she shoot him at this point? Uh, so they they trap him on the. Kitchen I saw this. I saw this film like they... before we like ten minutes before we started recording, and it's already left my brain. Yeah, they literally they they she, so Laurie pins him to the kitchen counter mm. with knives, pulls, pushes a fridge on his legs to stop him from moving. They slit his throat, slit his wrist, and just let him bleed out. Yeah, but then yeah, she's um, like he's dead, and then Allison's like not dead enough. And yeah. they tie him to the top of a car. All the police force are there, and they're like, "You shouldn't be doing this." But then the guy in the cowboy hat is like, "Nah, forget it. It's Michael Myers. Let's just, you know, let's finish the job." And he's the authority, mm. and therefore it's fine. And all of the town gather. Not quite sure how they know that this is happening, but they all gather. Because also, I'm intrigued by the fact that the police were called there presumably because of a suicide that didn't happen. And they're now like, oh, okay, okay, there's just this dead guy. He's probably Michael Myers trapped to the top of this car. What's going on? Anyway, they the whole town gathers in a 
candlelight procession to lead Michael Myers to a wood chipper, which they shove him into. And it's all great. And you actually see the little boy from Halloween 28 Green. Yeah. He's there watching this happen. Um, there's many returning characters from these films. As we mentioned, the, the next door neighbour of Laurie Strode, even though she's definitely dead in Halloween Kills, appears in this movie <laughs> bound to a wheelchair with her vocal cords severed. And her daughter, yet another sassy black woman, starts giving Laurie grief in the car park. Being like, you led on Michael Myers, motherfucker. Which is something that quite a few characters say in this movie. They're like, oh, you taunted Michael Myers. You had to. Like, because the radio DJ says that as well, right? He's like. Which is not true. No. And also, it's not true. how would they know that? <laughs> even if it was true. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. I mean, I know, I get that. That's supposed to be like a parallel with Corey, where it's like, they all think he murdered that boy, but he didn't. And like. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> but anyway, they, they load Michael Myers into a wood chipper, Fargo style grind him up into a fine paste and it turns out you can keep a player down if you leave by putting you dump the cunt in a wood chipper job done <laughs> and then we cut to everything's happy and nice um the fucking cop shows up at Laurie's house and he's like maybe we should bang and she's like okay and then we get some random shots of Laurie's house empty and then that's the end of the movie and don't fear the no, reaper don't fear, don't fear the so, reaper blow yeah. the oyster call kicks in yeah and Laurie keeps Michael's mask which is on her coffee table which is a weird touch yeah um, yeah this is a muddled movie it's a bad movie it's bad <laughs> like I don't know what you want me to say about this movie it's like no I know you don't like this movie at all I don't know I, I don't know like I've only seen it the, the seen it twice and I don't know what it's like there's I kind of I like elements of this movie and I kind of like the whole Corey thing uh, but the problem is it's a shit conclusion to a trilogy incredibly I also don't conclusion. think it works on its own either. Um, I, I know I've seen people like Red Letter Media made this argument right where it's like oh it's kind of interesting because it's a departure from the franchise and like in time people will kind of see it like Season of the Witch where it's like it's its own thing and like I think you can't watch it as its own thing because Season of the Witch is completely divorced from anything. It's just one narrative. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Whereas on this, that, yeah. you kind of have to have seen the that. previous movies for this to make any sense. But also, if you have seen those movies, it makes less sense because it it's doesn't true, follow yeah. on from Halloween Kills. It's not. It doesn't really follow on from Halloween. But, but also, like there are key characters who died in Halloween Kills who are not in this movie. So. Is because obviously, like Judy Greer is not in this movie, so it's not like you could skip Halloween Kills necessarily. It's like it's just it's just very weird because also the whole thing about like the town was corrupted by Michael's evil that only makes sense if you've seen Kills because that's not the case in yeah twenty eight Halloween Halloween twenty eight Green because that he goes on a killing spree but there's no element of his the evil and the evil must die tonight or any of that shit. It's just so it doesn't follow on from either of those well, films, ultimately, really. And also, look, I'm gonna, I'm like, just gonna, we sh- we sh- I'm we gonna say this. Up. I need to say this. It's in my soul. I need to say this. Corey is a bullshit <laughs> character, and let me tell you why. Let me tell you for why. This movie again doesn't know what it wants to do. Doesn't know what it's trying to say. At the start of the movie, Corey is a parallel to Michael Myers because, you know, he he killed he killed a child, but he did it by accident. And the point is, everyone views him as this evil person. And, like, the movie kind of, for a bit, looks like it's going to be about, like, the mob mentality thing, the paranoia. They see him as this this almost another Michael Myers figure, another Haddonfield killer. 
And then what happens is the movie goes, yeah, no, he is. No, he's a psycho. Yeah, he's a psycho killer. That's yeah. what he is. Yeah. And I don't think that works in any meaningful way. I don't think it... No, I, I, get, I'll, I will agree with you. I will absolutely agree with you. I think... Like they clearly wanted to do something very different with this movie. The things that I like about this movie is I I think like I said this to you earlier off mic was that like I think like this visually it's one of the most it's it's more interesting than the previous two movies. It has like a sort of more clear vision mm. behind it, even though the writing is absolute dog show. Um it's it's you know, I appreciate this doing something different. I personally think if this movie was Halloween five, people would love this one. If this if this story was being told in a much earlier point in this yeah, series, maybe. in which you could do a story where, like, especially at the end of Halloween Four, where Michael falls down a mine shaft and is seemingly dead, you could have done this yeah. movie then. You could have yeah, told I think this I, story. I, yeah, I think you're right. It, it doesn't work so as a conclusion better. of a trilogy at all, really, because it's just kind of going off on its own thing. And like, okay, that's interesting. But I, I put it to you, David Gordon Green. If you wanted to make a movie about how a small town victimizes this person who they don't understand to the point where he's actually driven to be this violent character that they think he is, make a different movie. Don't yeah, make Halloween's conclusion don't make Halloween to a... 2018's third installment, just make something else. Yeah, I think, like, obviously, we could keep talking about this fucking movie, but we do need to wrap up because we are running long. Um, I think, come on, this is the end of Halloween. Let's let's get out our final yeah. thoughts because we're never touching this franchise again. No. Never, no, ever. No, no. So let's. It There's doesn't a TV matter series on the way, but we won't talk about it. <laughs> we simply won't be watching that. I, I will um, be. But <laughs> I know you will be because, I mean, you watch the Chucky show, you know, I mean, you've got problems. Hey, that show is great. But... <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Chucky the TV series is brilliant but speaking of tv this is another thing i think david gordon green is very just influenced by random bits of pop culture he's seen like we mentioned terminator 2 yeah this movie Corey, at the start with his glasses and his curly hair looks exactly like will graham from the Hall- the hannibal he tv does. show yeah actually yeah and that's a that's a series where the whole thing is like oh is he gonna snap is he gonna be yeah. hannibal's little apprentice are they gay? And, you know, <laughs> that's that whole thing. And it's like, they're clearly just, clearly, so evidently to me, in the writing room, they were like, you know, Hannibal, could we do that with Michael Myers? And that's what this movie is. And that's yeah. the, why I can't even credit it for its originality, because it's not an original movie. No, it's not just bits it's, of it's Christine, Christine, it's bits of Hannibal. It's, it's literally just, Christine. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, my, my sort of wrap-up thoughts on this is, uh, we've again, me and you have talked about this off mic before, but it's the fact that, like, mm. There are little seeds and little ideas throughout all three of these movies which could paint a very good story in the hands of good writers. This whole idea of, like, in the first movie, Michael is seemingly just a guy and he's come back to this town and then the second movie you find out he's something more than that and it's corrupted the town and then the third movie you see the influence of that affecting somebody else. You could tell a very good story in three parts in that sense, but these writers just are not good. Yeah, and, and the thing is, well, like, if to you want to make story. it... If you wanted to make it a story about the evil of the town, why does this movie end with, okay, we've killed the, the two killers, so everything's fine? Yeah. Like, what story are you telling here? Is it the case that there's this evil influence and you can remove it and that's job done? Or is it like, oh, there's something evil about Haddonfield itself that corrupts people? Because throughout this series, we see that everyone who lives in Haddonfield, from children to old people, are complete arseholes. Mostly children in these movies as well. Yeah, every <laughs> All child the kids in these movies are cunts. <laughs> and I have to say, like having just done the Rob Zombie ones a few weeks ago, 
I'll take those over this tripe any day of the week. You know, I have my criticisms about them. I think neither of them managed to stray into the good territory. I think they were both shit, but I like it. But at least, at least, I mean, I mean, I'm not one to praise Rob Zombie as a screenwriter too much, but like, at least the dialogue was funny on purpose. Whereas in these and I think movies, he, it's he just throws garbage. up much more interesting ideas. More mm. consistently, I'd say. I mean, we've not even discussed some of the choice dialogue from this trilogy, so just quickly, let's go over a few. When we meet Allison's dad, one of his first lines of dialogue is, I got peanut butter on my penis, as he's making himself a little sandwich. Yep. I feel like these are the Danny McBride influence coming in. Oh, 100%. And yeah. there's there's the scene where in this movie, Halloween Ends, where Laurie's like, you got to find someone who makes you want to rip your shirt open and show grief your tits. And the scene, the scene ends on that line of dialogue. Great line. Ends. Great line. It's just poo poo caca, mate. This whole movie, <laughs> this whole trilogy is poo poo caca. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've talked all over the fucking map on these. Like these, this is not a trilogy. This is uh, this is three very different movies masquerading as a trilogy. It's just look. Okay, look. If anyone from Hollywood is listening to this, and I doubt they are, let's just not do any more Halloween movies. It's done. Leave it. I mean, you've made three movies called Halloween already. You've made two called Halloween 2. Let's leave it. I know they're going to do a fucking miniseries because everything needs to be an HBO miniseries well, these days. Well, uh, A20, no, it's not A20, A24 wanted to get the rights to Halloween, but another studio has now got it. Isn't Brian Fuller doing like a Friday the 13th show? Crystal, Crystal Lake. Lake. He's doing a series called Crystal Lake, yeah. It's just like just that. But that's the thing is though with the whole Brian Fuller. Obviously, we won't get into it too much. But like from what I gather, Brian Fuller, yeah, he's doing a series called Crystal Lake. But he said, oh, it's not a Jason series. It's okay. It's I, I feel like he's probably going to do a almost like sort of like Twin Peaks style thing where like Crystal Lake is the the evil locale, and then we have like different stories, and Jason will be one of those stories. Yeah, I mean that comes out of it. Yeah, sounds like a waste of Brian Fuller's talents, to be honest. But um, the yeah. look, uh, if... let's go into okay. I know we're running long, but fuck it, it's the epic conclusion to the Halloween trilogy. So if it ends up being two hours forty-five, fuck you, just fuck you, <laughs> listeners. Um, okay, why do you watch these, Mark? Why do you like them? Give us your thoughts on this. It's really hard to quantify why I like the Halloween movies. I think it's because ultimately I find that Michael Myers is he's one of my favourite like horror protagonists and it's a shame that he's been so ruined by so many sequels and so much lore and so much mythology that is actual bullshit. But like, I ultimately still find Michael Myers an interesting character and... I have a weird investment in horror franchises, like you know, like I, I get weirdly swept up in the characters and I'm always curious to see what they do with these characters even though I'm consistently let down by them. It's a weird kind of masochism. Mm. And I've seen all of these Halloween movies several times and I probably will continue to watch them all several times and I, I don't think I can fully quantify what it I'm is. I'm going to watch like Halloween Garden. Resurrection every Halloween now. That's going to be my tradition. Um Look, I, think, no, I wish I could give you some kind of like in-depth emotional answer as to why I like these movies. I, just, I don't know. I just, I just do. It's, it's, it's a weird one for me. It's, yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch the original Halloween again. I might even watch Halloween two again. I'll probably watch Halloween season of the witch again. I'll definitely watch Halloween Resurrection again. I know you will because and you just want to. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the zombie movies. If someone puts them on when I'm round. 
but the rest of them are just tripe. Get in the bin. Like, oh, they are. Like, I will make no bones about this. As somebody who likes the Halloween movies, like there's only like three of them that are any good. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I've suffered through these for you, Mark. So I appreciate that. Make of that so, one. Uh, we only did one Doctor well, Who episode, listeners. We've done fifty <laughs> Halloween episodes. This is basically a Halloween like, fan cast at this point. It's not even a movie. It basically podcast. Is. So, Aiden, before we finish up. Halloween ends. Before Evil Where dies tonight. Um, oh, yeah, we've got to do the ranking. Well, I mean, I think I'm pretty obviously it's shit. It's not a shit that I like it. It's not. To some degree, I agree with you that there, there could have been an interesting movie from some of these elements. Um, I was kind of saying to you that I think a better film that had more balls would make Laurie the antagonist of this movie and have Corey not be the new killer. So I think that's what lets it down. It's like it kind of comes up with this interesting idea about like. Oh, there's this guy who killed someone accidentally, and he's almost being mythologized in the way that Michael Myers was. He's like this freak, he's this outcast. But then, if he didn't become that, and it was about Laurie's paranoia and about her being like, which is set up in the first movie, and it was about her being like, she can't let go of the Michael Myers thing. And even like, because Michael Myers is a fucking afterthought in this movie. I think it would even be better if Michael Myers just fucking was dead in this film, and they were just like. It was a. I mean, admittedly, you're not making a slasher movie at that point. You're making a, a kind of psychological drama. But again, it's like you might as well have done that because this movie is so not interested in being a slasher movie. There's so few sequences, and like some of the slasher sequences are fun. But again, they're they're kind of outside of the plot. They're outside of the thematics. They're just there because occasionally they go, "Oh wait, this is a Halloween movie. We need to have some killing in it." And I actually think a more interesting movie that was actually going to subvert the formula that was actually going to say something about anything could have been like okay this is about laurie not being able to let go of michael myers and not even and like you could even start the movie with like yeah we found michael myers in his house dead because he was stabbed fifty thousand times in the last movie like that could almost be interesting i know in the last movie they're like oh he's evil and evil never dies but then if you're gonna do that subversive thing maybe just do that just be like yeah, no, he was just a big guy. He could take some punishment, but like at the end of the day, he just succumbed to his wounds. Which is kind of what they do at the start of this movie anyway, because he's crawling around in the sewers being all nearly dead. And it's just like, he might as well just be dead. <laughs> well, I've said this to you before, like, you know, I won't get too into it, but like, again, these movies could have been so much more interesting if you got rid of that Dr. Sartain character from yes. Halloween 2018. And, you know, Laurie calls the crash, and it's about her realizing she's unleashed michael in this town halloween kills is about her possibly putting him to rest and then halloween ends is about a new evil rising like you could have done something with that but they ultimately these are not in the hands of and i also think it, like it's indicative of that movies. thing of like a lot of um franchise filmmaking where they're, they're trying to like they want to pro- it's that thing of like they want to provide a twist on the formula but they also want to kind of tickle the balls of the fandom and kind of be like oh no, we're going to give Laurie the ending she deserves. And like, okay, but these two creative motivations are completely at odds with each other. Like, you can't give me... Like, don't get me wrong. If you just made a movie that was like, okay, it's the final showdown, it's Michael Myers, it's Laurie Strode, it's Cat and Mouse, she kills him in the end, end of story. That'd That'd be be fine. fine. You could have given me something that completely subverts the formula, and that'd be fine. What you can't do is both at the same time. And I think that's the issue with both of these movies, is that, well, all three of these movies, 
is that they just don't I mean the first one's a little more streamlined it's not like I said that's the one I gave a good rating to right that movie about gets away with it there's some stretches where the writing is not strong as we've covered but you know it's a fairly simple story Michael Myers comes back the Strode women fight back against him in the end and he's killed perfectly fine if he just ended the franchise there fine if the last time we'd seen Michael was him staring up through the grate of that crate and he was surrounded by flames descending into hell fine but then he made four more hours of movie and he added nothing and it's just like I mean I know I'm being very down yeah on this the, film, the but... David Gordon Green trilogy is uh, is a real <laughs> it's just a real blemish on a series that's already full and I think of them, the proof know, has like been it's... in the pudding by the way because he's tried to apply his style to the Exorcist franchise and people are not going for that movie I mean, I've I've not seen no, it. I've not I seen think it. People have been burnt. Yeah, one too yeah, I can't state an opinion on it because I haven't actually seen it. But like, people are not going for that one. And it sounds like no. a lot of the issues that I've seen people bring up in reviews for that movie is the same shit he does in this. Yeah. What's your rating for Halloween? Cool. What's right, your rating well, for Halloween ends? Uh, it's a very light shit, but I like it only because I like the vibes of the movie. I kind of like the cold Corey Cunningham thing, but again, it belongs to a better movie. So yeah, I'm more forgiving of these movies than what you are because I have some kind of weird masochistic love for them. Like how you love every single Godzilla movie that's, that's been made. That's not actually entirely you love true. Godzilla. That's some that I don't think are very good. Well, yeah, but I don't love every no. Halloween movie. So. Although, <laughs> but it's that although, same kind of thing where, where Godzilla minus one likes it does look sick. But, you know, it's that same sort of thing where, like, you know, you will watch any movie that Godzilla is in, I'll watch any fucking movie that Michael Myers is in because I like mm. the character, despite the bad things that have been done to that character. Same with the Scream movie, same with Friday the 13th, same with Chucky, same with Nightmare on Elm Street. I just like those characters. I will watch whatever the fuck they're in and take some form of pleasure in everything that I see them in, even if the movies are shit. But that's on me. That's my own... That's my own cross to bear, I suppose. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's it. I I don't hate Halloween Ends as much as some people do. Some people say it's the worst thing in the entire franchise. Strongly disagree. Um, but yeah, I'm. I don't see myself rewatching it regularly, like at all. But eh, you know, when it's on, I like the vibes. Uh, right, let's put okay. a fucking pin in this because I've talked. This to is it. Evil has died tonight. Halloween has ended. Evil has we'll died certainly tonight. never hear from this franchise again. Although we almost certainly will. And there'll probably, be, there'll probably be a new continuity where the David Gordon Green movies are written out of existence and only season of The Witch's canon. Yeah, probably. Um, Stonehenge has been found. Like Halloween that. has ended. <laughs> the evil has died. So this was Kino Inferno. Next time you see us, it will be the Christmas special uh, where we're bringing out... Yep. Um, Let's announce it now. We're bringing because if people have listened this far, they you know they might as well listen to another second. Um, that's the David Gordon Green method of dialogue writing. Um, the, <laughs> so Mark is bringing, of course, the original Black Christmas from '74, and I am bringing yeah. Joe Dante's Gremlins because it's about time. Two solid choices, in my opinion. So with that, um, I've been Aiden. I've been Mark. And I've been a generic David Gordon Green character. God, look at my sandwiches. Aren't they so great? Let's talk about that for another two minutes.
He's just standing there, menacingly! <laughs>